Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And beginning a ongoing series uh, covering the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. Now, in order to do this properly, I got to have co-hosts with me, and I don't have one, but I have two co-hosts with me. Two gentlemen who were gracious enough to give up their afternoon at the. Well, it was under, uh, I guess you say, a different kind of circumstances. I, I pulled a gun on them. That's I, I kidnapped them, and that's why they're here, and their survival and their family safety is dependent on them doing this podcast. Send help. Ah, no, no, he's just kidding. He's fine. He's fine. Help. <laughs> Gun reform now. Uh, he ripped off my toenails. You, you said you wanted a pedicure, and that's what I gave you. I have no toenails. I never said I was good at doing those. <laughs> uh, and the first gentleman uh, who's been on this podcast numerous times, but it's been a long time since we've done that, Mr. C- Dakota Wiegen. How you doing, Dakota? It's been, it's been 85 years. <laughs> It's been one week since you looked at me. Nah, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm glad we're able to do this, finally. Yep, excited to be here. Yes. Uh, and the other gentleman here, hmm, how would I describe him? He's one of the friends I've, I've, been know, I've known the longest and who's on the show not so long ago when we covered The Dark Knight Rises, Mr. Justin Cirillo. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing quite well. I was actually one of the hobbits in this film. Oh, a were little, you? Little known fact. Oh, oh really? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it was... I don't know if it was an easy joke or what, but like amongst us, our college friend group, we do refer to you as the Hobbit for good reason. Yes, um, yeah, I mean, you were one of the Hobbits in the movie, but it was in the the Tom Bombadil scenes that were unfortunately cut from the movie. <laughs> uh, I think it's the, I, I I I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, but like with the new Amazon adaptation coming, I'm like I. Bet you that's one of the things they when they put the writers' room together. Like, all right, we got to put Tom Bombadil in there somewhere. Wait, I was not aware of this. Yeah, Amazon's doing an adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Oh, a uh, uh, set in Middle Earth. It's not Lord not of the like Rings. the think it's not the trilogy, but just in yeah. the. Okay. Yeah, it takes place in the Second Age. It, I thought. Uh, oh, it's the Second Age. Yeah, and I think so. Unless it's the Third Age. Why not the fourth? Well, the, that's the that was the end of. I mean, Middle Earth obviously continued after uh, Frodo left the Shire and everything. But anyway, uh, we're getting off of on tangent already. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we're covering Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring, and let's jump into our review of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> have it head banged in forever. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, Dakota, what is your history with Lord of the Rings? Um, I actually was thinking about this on the car right here. I, to quote Gandalf, I have no memory of this place because it was just there. It just, I know it came out with 1999, 2000. And then like, I, the first movie I remember out of the three seeing in theaters was Return of the King. But in between, 
it coming out and the uh, Return of the King, I saw both the Fellowship and Two Towers. I don't know how. I don't remember. It must have been a blockbuster rental. Mm-hmm. But all I know is my life before Lord of the Rings and after Lord of the Rings. I was becoming a girt nerd, full on nerd. Mm-hmm. So, because prior to that, you obviously were a Star Wars fan when you were a child. Yeah, Star Wars fan. Um, did uh, dabbled in fantasy stuff, but my fantasy was very limited to just uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, yeah, but it was like interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. and we had like medieval toys and stuff like that. So it was fun. And then this came out, and you're like, oh, adventure, magic, wizards, <laughs> swords, yeah. <laughs> And then you're like, whoa. You know full Keanu right there? <laughs> exactly. Like, you just, just all of a sudden, whoa. Yeah. Nice. Like, and, your balls just dropped, and you're like, okay, I'm talking like this. No, I'm talking like this. Well, that just got really sexy right there. <laughs> so, okay. I know, obviously, you've been on the show, obviously, numerous times, because we've covered all of Harry Potter together. Yep. Which fandom happened first for you? Hmm. Good question. Um, I would have to say the Harry Potter fandom happened first because I got really into that before I really got more into Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also harder to avoid the Harry Potter fandom in general now. Now, but um, Lord of the Rings fandom is there and definitely have embraced some of it. I'm not a hardcore, hardcore fan like some other people are. But well, you don't have the Similarian memorized. No, I don't speak Elvish correctly, and I don't have Sting above my fireplace. Wait, you don't speak Elvish, or you don't speak Elvish correctly? Correctly. Okay. Okay, that, that's a distinction. A <laughs> but Peter fine. Jackson would have fired me. <laughs> True. Um, what about you, Justin? What is your history with Lord of the Rings? So, I first was made aware of it probably when the... Um, when the first trailers came out in 99, 2000, that sort of time. Because um, my mom and dad, I, I, I think my mom mostly, was a big fan of the series. She had read it when she was a kid, tried to get me to read it. And back then I didn't read much, so I was just like, yeah, whatever. So the movie comes out 2001. It comes out on DVD. The following summer, and I remember it quite well. So I would have been just about 13 at the time. It was Labor Day weekend. It was very rainy. We went to my grandparents' house in Merrick, and we we're like, "What the fuck else are we gonna do? There's nothing else to do outside because it's uh, just pouring." So we we're like, "Let's put on Fellowship of the Ring." And first, like, nah, can we just watch the Yankee game?" We we're like. <laughs> Now, you're going to watch this, and, you know, you're going to have to sit through it. So I was like, fine. And this was and the then, theatrical cut, not yes, the... Yes, the okay. theatrical cut. Okay, so that saved you five hours. And going into it, the only thing I knew about it was Christopher Lee was in it. And that past summer, he had been in Attack of the Clones. So I was like, all right, I'll watch for Christopher Lee. Uh, about a half hour later, I was uh, I was hooked on the movie. Because it was, it just pulls you in, and it just hasn't let me go since. I guess you could say you were hooked on a feeling. 
You could say that if Thank you, you everyone. That's if a, you want podcast for the day. That's all folks. <laughs> they just checked our phones, everybody. They were literally just like, checking the time, just like, okay, yeah. Um another five hours of this shit. <laughs> you asked for it. I did not. You asked me. <laughs> You inquired about it at one time or another. Because you floated it like, hey, you want to hey, do this? It's, it's been a long pandemic. We've all been bored. Yes, that that is uh, without a doubt. Um, my history with it is kind of unique because I remember seeing the trailer for it, the very theatrical, the, the earliest theatrical trailer. And I, I'm try I've racked my brain for years trying to remember what movie I was in the theaters for to see it for. Like, I'm thinking, okay, it's like even ninety, like it's got to be like 2000 or maybe in 2001 when I saw the trailer. And I'm thinking, like, did I see it before Mission Impossible two, um, or uh, maybe Unbreakable or what? Like, I was trying, I racked my brain, and it's never come to me. But like the moment, like the one moment in the trailer that's always stuck with me is the Fellowship is already on their journey and Frodo has fallen down as for tea kettle on the mountain and it's the rings in the foreground and the huge close up and it gets pulled out yanked out of frame by Boromir like that image alone stuck with me and I remember it is summer of 2002 my family and I are down in Ocean City Maryland we stayed there for a week it was it was our tradition we'd go down there for a week during the summer and I remember seeing a trailer for it early when we first got there, and then we ended up going to a grocery store to get supplies for the apartment that we were staying in for a week. And like so many things in the checkout line, there they're it's they're supposed to be alluring for you. That's why all the best sweets are up there, or magazines, or things that like you don't really need, but you want because like it's just right there as you go right as you up to the cash register. And they had Lord of the Rings on VHS, the Fellowship of the Ring. And I'm like, hey, Mom, can we get this? Because I knew we had a v- VCR in the apartment. Now, what I would later find out is that my mom had been a Lord of the Rings fan for decades up until that point. And she was like, silent scenes, like, yeah, I'll get that for you. Um, because, like, even when she was in college, she had a map of Middle Earth up on her wall. And she was a she was a jock, but she loved she loved the Hobbit. She loved reading the Lord of the Rings books, and so seeing the movie being adapted and knowing that like I loved movies, and she probably thought I would get into reading the books, which I did a little bit. I tr- I try to. Justin, to my right here, you're the scholar of uh, of the three of us anyway, because uh, you've gone so far to actually take a Tolkien class. That that is correct. Um, the my final semester at Oswego with. This idiot, I'm pointing to Tim. See, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. You get to like, you're just saying it's in the ether, like it could have been anybody in the room there. Pointing to you, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and like, I watched that movie so many times when we were down there, and I watched it so much on VHS afterwards, and I was chomping at the bit. Ready for the 2000s. I knew that was going to be coming out in December because all of these ones became an annual release. Mm-hmm. Um, but the history of the Lord of the Rings books is a fascinating one to say the least. Now, 
it's as let I don't know if I would say it's a legend, but the reported history is like the idea that J.R.R. Tolkien, like the first writing he did for it was when he was at university, when he was a professor and he was grading papers, got bored, pushed him to the side, pull out a piece of paper and start. And he wrote concerning hobbits, the like the, or the, what a hobbit hole was. Mm-hmm. And then he spent then the rest of his life just adding to the mythology of it. Yeah. I actually read that, um, he would used to write to uh, write home to his daughter's tales of either Fro- Frodo or Bilbo, and eventually he turned those little short snippets into what is now the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, whether that was when he was in the university or when he was fighting in World War One or post World War One, I, I don't quite remember where uh, that much information. But I do know that like a lot of these were short stories that he wrote home to entertain his kids. I could see that. Um, do you know any more history, like, on, like, the broad here, history of, like, the writing of The Hobbit and the publication of it? So, I think the, the idea for Middle-Earth had always been around, even when he was, um, a soldier in World War One. I. I think, uh, even by then, he had, he hadn't really started on The Lord of the Rings, per se, but he had this idea of, like, Middle Earth, or the the Lord of the Rings uh, legendarium. Um, it wasn't until after the war, when he was a professor at Oxford, that he started actually taking all of these ideas. Because originally his grand work was the Silmarillion, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, and still is, so complex and so many characters that everyone was like. What the fuck are you doing here? There's, little, there's way too many umlauts in this in this word. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, because like his profession, he was a linguist. Correctly. He was a linguist, the, and he actually created Middle Earth as just like a a place for him to invent different languages. Right. And that's why you have three, at least three different. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact word, but of versions of Elvish. Right. Uh, and why do you have Dwarvish and the uh, Black Speech mm. of Mordor and uh, all of pretty much everything? Uh, the language the Rohirrim speak is basically Old English. Right. Mm. Um, so he was very involved in... Uh, not just the history of languages, but the creation of new ones. Right, because I remember watching one of the documentaries on the then DVD that's now on the Blu-ray of Lord of the Rings, where dialects. That's the word. I'm dialects. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do you need me to get the thesaurus for you, sir? <laughs> I thought you were talking about the actual script. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I'm know. like, I thought you were going to try and rattle off the, the three iterations of. Oh yeah, it's uh, Sindarin, Quenya, and get the last one. I, uh, Sindarin just, and Quenya are the yeah. Two Quenya main. is the one I know of off the top uh, of my head. I just want to have said Elvish, Dwarvish, and Undercommon. Right. Or D&D speak. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like, because Tolkien was famously friends with C.S. Lewis, Mm -hmm. which 
their relationship became consensus near the end. I don't know if they ever reconciled before Tolkien's death. I'm not sure either. Um, because I think like there's a there is a criticism that you could label against Tolkien that he was not a natural storyteller. What what I mean by that is because you think of there is a lot of time that takes place uh, in Lord of the Rings, and what I mean by that is like. Even in the in the book, The Fellowship of the Ring, Gandalf leaves after Bilbo's birthday, and it's, what, 17 years until he returns back to Hobbiton yep. to tell Frodo of the Ring? Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a further six months until Frodo decides to leave. Yeah, he procrastinates a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, like, so, like, and then, like, you think of the structure of the two towers where we go on one journey for half the book and then we jump back in time to find out what happened to Frodo and Sam and everything when everything else was going on in Helm's Deep. Uh, so like it, it was not like, I guess you'd say a, you would, a traditional three act structure when it came to the, the, the books and everything. But I think despite all that, like you could say as like nitpicking criticism, like obviously based on the success of the Hobbit, which was released, which was published in 1937, mm-hmm. it was like, Publisher's like, oh, this is amazing. We want more. And in tokens said, okay. Twelve years later, he finally re- he finally was able to publish Lord of the Rings. Right, yeah. but he initially, from what I remember, is he initially went to the publishers with one book, which encompassed all three books, and yes. the publisher was like, hell no. Well, there was a paper shortage in England after World War II, which is. Uh, the main reason why it was split up into three separate books. Yeah, but that would have been what, like a fifteen, uh, what fifteen thousand page book or something like that. Uh, I mean, how? I mean, these are not individually. The three books are not short. No, they're about somewhere between three hundred and four hundred pages each. Okay, oh, so yeah, so it's about because uh, so, I I have the 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 really thick um uh single volume. Oh okay. wow! Wow. At uh, at my house. So inc- and it's about I'd say about twelve hundred. Is that also pages. with it, including uh, concerning hobbits? Yes. Okay. But yeah. that's still a, that's still a really yeah. big book. And nineteen fifty. I mean, this book came out what nineteen fifty? Uh, Fellowship. Fifty three. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so back then, I mean, you go to antique stores. Books are not exactly yeah. longer than. What, 300 pages? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Lord of the Rings was published between 1954 and 1955. Okay, so, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense why, one, paper shortage, but two, makes sense to give the reader, the consumers, smaller chunks to digest yes. as well. It probably also benefited the publishing house to, like, annually release each each volume, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, rationing in England lasted for almost 20 years after the, the result of World War II. They're an island. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> means a lot. Um, like, I, I just wonder, like, imagine you're the publisher, mm-hmm. and you have to wait over a decade to get the sequel to, Ho- the, to The Hobbit. <laughs> and it's not even the, I think, the sequel that the publishers wanted, because they wanted something to do with... Bilbo Baggins, like the continuous continuous adventures of Bilbo Baggins, which which Tolkien started writing, and then he never got past anything out of the Shire that had Bilbo as a main character, and eventually it was just like, "Fuck this! I'm just gonna write about Mm. uh, write about 
one of his uh his relatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like it I mean this book the book series would have been so different if it was Bilbo. It you was. Know? There's actually uh I think it's there is a, a a collection of books that takes you through the the writing process that Tolkien took. Oh. I think it's the History of Middle Earth uh series and I've I only made it through maybe the first two of them about uh how the fellowship of the ring came together but it was basically you know the first chapter is about the same as it is in the the final copy and then um what really becomes different is just like going away from Bilbo and trying and focusing on Frodo instead right but it's really interesting to see how the writing process went yeah and I guess, like, you think of it, like, all these things, like, the similarian being, like, what he wanted to do, and that was obviously his masterwork. I mean, to the point that he didn't even finish it. Right. His son did. He, Tolkien was always very, I don't know if nervous or self-conscious about um, the Silmarillion, but for some reason, he always kept tweaking things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know this because he... he Throughout letters he had written to his fans, stuff he had written to uh, his son Christopher. We know a lot about the thought process that he went on throughout his life as he tried to like perfect this world he created and he was never satisfied completely with how it turned out, which is why it never got finished and... um Luckily, his his son was able to take the parts that were mostly complete and uh, give us the Silmarillion. Which I can imagine some hardcore fans probably still don't consider that canon because Tolkien was not alive when it was published. Like, he didn't get the final word. But if there's anybody who is, I think, appropriate enough to finish it, it probably would be his son. But, like, I've always been fascinated by the the island of Numenor and the Numenorians and what happens to them and how it pretty much, it's almost, it's very similar to the history of Atlantis. And that's what happened to the island. Like it was destroyed that way and sunk into the sea and the ones who survived, that's they eventually, I guess you would say emigrated to middle earth. And obviously the character of Aragorn is a descendant of the Numenorians and everything. Um, but it was once if the books were fi- finally published it was a smash hit yeah. and like there was Tolkien there was Lord of the Rings uh, club starting immediately afterwards and it became part of pop culture like uh, I, there's, there's stories of people saying seeing graffiti with Frodo's name in it mm-hmm. like immediately after it and kind of like uh, like Clapton is God, and then it'd be Frodo's right next to it and everything and to the point that like even you look some Led Zeppelin songs are Directly quote Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. I mean, Battle of Evermore is heavily Lord of the Rings influenced. Yes. And people have done that on YouTube where they've taken just the audio track to the Battle of Evermore and they just cut a montage to (laughs) Lord of the Rings right there. Yeah. Um, And with the success of that, uh, an adaptation was already considered. And there were a lot of people who wanted to do it. I mean, 
one of the first people who wanted to make an adaptation of it was Walt Disney. And Tolkien was vehemently against that because of the depictions of fairy tales in the Disney animated movies up to that point. I mean, you think of, I, I guess, like, maybe, like, yeah, you think of Snow White, which is still one of the best animated movies, but it's a very, it's very broad and everything, um, when it comes to fairy tale folklore. But, um, there were a lot of ideas that were being thrown around, but eventually, the rights to it, to Saul Zanis, who would eventually become uh, the property holder, and he was affiliated with United Artists. Um, in 1969, a filmmaker by the name of John Borman, who had done uh, Point Blank, which was a big hit with Lee Marvin, he would go on eventually to do like Excalibur in 1981 in uh, the Emerald Forest, and he was one of the people that was considered to do an adaptation of the Lord of the Rings, but it was going to be it probably would have been R-rated, but it was very sexual in nature. I think Galadriel like seduces Frodo at one point, so I could see that. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, totally could see that happening. Uh, I mean, as as what we have the adaptation now, I can kind of see that. Be, I, Galadriel being like the most fairest being of all Middle Earth. Um, yeah, but mm, no, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Is How this much you pitch like- that to Pornhub? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably how it happened. Yeah, this is the internet. Uh, <laughs> So what? It would be similar to like the Playboy produced uh, Macbeth movie, Game of Thrones. Uh, it, uh yeah, you're closest that... to yeah, Game of Thrones. Um, there was at one point Stanley Kubrick was going to do an adaptation of this. Oh, with... that would be weird. <laughs> and guess who was going to play the Hobbits? Was it Miniatures. the Beatles? It was the Beatles. Yeah. Oh God, no. <laughs> hey, Paul. I mean. <laughs> Hey, Frodo, where are we going? Things oh. gotta be destroyed. <laughs> Ringo, what are you doing? Ringo's definitely Mary. That's without a doubt. I think Ringo's Pippin. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, George would be Mary. Uh, then you have to fight who would have to be uh, Frodo and Sam there. Who'd uh, Paul would have to be Frodo. Yeah. Lennon would not. No, Lennon would not allow it, though. No, that's... that's yeah. <laughs> I want to be Frodo. No, I'm Frodo. No, I'm Frodo. God damn it, you're both Frodo. <laughs> Apparently... We're both Squidward. <laughs> and Kubrick is just like, fuck this. Yeah, he's just like, I'm going to go make 2001. I'm out of here. <laughs> fuck fantasy. I'm doing sci-fi. Um, apparently, after the Oscar wins of The Return of the King, Paul McCartney ran into Peter Jackson at the Oscars when, like, Jackson's, like, holding his arm fills full of Oscars. No. And and that's the one thing, as huge Beatles fan uh, as Jackson is, I mean, hell, the Beatles make a, like, a, a standee makes an appearance in his first movie at one point. And so one of the questions that uh, Jackson had was, like, what was it like? Was that a real serious thing that could have actually happened that you were going to make Lord of the Rings? Like, it was something. It would have been, it would have been interesting. Uh, and McCartney thanked Jackson because, like, he like he took his family every year to see these movies and mm-hmm. was really proud of him. And he's just like, you did the better job here. <laughs> um, but the first adaptation was done in animated form by Ralph Bashke. Mm-hmm. Now, I've only seen it once. Okay. It's – I've only seen it once as well. I have not seen and it. And it was – I've seen clips. Here's what you do. You get You get high. Either that you get or drunk. just get drunk. <laughs> Either or. Uh, I Mind-altering substances must be required. Yes, because it is... It's different. It's uh, definitely 
different, especially because they sort of combine just the Lord of the Rings and the two towers, uh, the Fellowship, Fellowship and the, the two towers, and the two towers into one very long movie. And then they were like, "Oh, I guess we're out of time now. What about Return of the King? We're out of money. <laughs> I don't know. I'll figure it out later. We'll make the Hobbit." So when I Probably within the first year, I was a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, I went to the, a video rental store one Friday night after school. And my mom and I, we got the animated version of the Lord of the Rings and the, uh, the Return of the King as well. Because they did eventually make a Return of the King animated film. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to get through, um, the Lord of the Rings. We put on Return of the King, and it's a goddamn musical. And we're like, I turned to my mom and like, yeah, I think I'm just gonna call it a night. <laughs> like the only two memories I have about the Bashki adaptation was Boromir's death, which is even more violent somehow. Yeah. Which, like, he takes, like, eight arrows and he keeps yanking them out of himself. Oh! The animation style for the combat scenes with the rotoscoping also makes it that much more intense. Yeah. Compared to the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And the moment that... Another moment is when Frodo and Sam capture Gollum after he, he tries to sneak up on him. And just the, the noises that he makes as he's, like... His screams are echoing out on the the borders of Mordor, and I'm like, oh my god, I would have killed him right then there. Screw it, I'm not going to take the chance of having this thing alerting my position. Fun fact, the voice actor who uh, played Legolas in the animated edition, none other than Anthony Daniels. Huh. Hmm. And then... I'll, I'll try. I'll, so I I I I want like a parallel universe where instead of Orlando Bloom, we just have C three PO playing Legolas in the, in the Legolas two already. I'm already on seventeen. <laughs> I'm a protocol droid. <laughs> what do your elven eyes see? That they're, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> He's still in the C three PO armor. <laughs> with his out, with like those outfits over it, uh, and they're, run, they're even... just running, and it's like we were born to suffer. You will die before your your bloat falls. <laughs> oh Lord! And um. I think in the 70s, uh, BBC radio adaptation, Ian Holm played Frodo. Yes. So that's another little, little uh, connection there. And so a real adaptation would would be dormant for decades up until the early ni- – mid-90s, I should say, until 1995. Because after – during the post-production of Peter Jackson doing The Frighteners, he had acquired a bunch of computers to do CGI effects for that movie. And he realized – Shit, this is gonna be ca- taking up a lot of space in my studio. Um, I, I gotta find a project that requires a lot of just to make, to put these to work, pretty much, like to pay them off, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so there were two projects at the time. His, he wanted to do an, a remake of King Kong, and he almost did that. Like he even, they, they even built a, a maquette of King Kong to, to 
for their pitch to Universal, which which was moving at one point. And since Jackson had made Heavenly Creatures for Miramax, um, Miramax approached him and said, hey, what's your next project that you want to do? And that's when the idea of The Lord of the Rings was being kicked around because the King Kong adaptation was put into turnaround. And I guess this is the unfortunate part of the Lord of the Rings fran- uh, legacy is that Bob and Harvey Weinstein did make a lot of money off of The Lord of the Rings. Even though it was, it was not made in Miramax, their names are still producers on them. So Yeah, I mean... It's just hindsight being like, a thing. But there Miramax so did a lot of like movies like that. So, I mean, yeah. like... Like, it's, it's something that I think it would be foolish for us not to acknowledge, yeah. at least. It yeah. does suck that that guy Yeah, a, I mean, a terrible human being. I, but, like, I'm kind of glad it was not made in Miramax because they didn't want to make three movies. They wanted it to be two movies. Oh, yeah. It was a real blessing that it ended up at New Line. And... Like, they were almost ready to, like, Jackson and company were ready to leave Hollywood, go back to New Zealand, and, like, they were going to run out, like, their contract on doing Lord of the Rings. That's when New Line Cinema said, like, hey, what are you doing next? Like, we want to do Lord of the Rings. And Bob Shea, who was the head of New Line Cinema at the time, was uh, intrigued by the idea, but he had one suggestion for Jackson, and Jackson was kind of, you know, at his wit's end on this project. Bob Shea said to him, there's three books. There should be three movies. Yeah, it makes only makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so, and Jackson's like, yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what it is. And that, at, during this point, like they had already built a miniature version of Helm's Deep. That they made like a video, like pitch reel for of, of things. And like Richard Taylor, who's one of the uh, special effects um, uh, men on the movie, who did a lot of design work, who had been part of Jackson's crew since late 1980s, uh, starting with Meet the Feebles. They'd already started working on it, like just as like preliminary stuff, and because of that, that's when New Line Cinema did a. You really have to think about like now a day's trilogies are greenlit before the news even breaks. Like like oh we have one idea we're already gonna make a trilogy of it. Yeah, and most of the time it doesn't work. I mean I think the most foolish thing that ever happened is when Universal announced the Dark Universe. And they put out that still of like Harvey Bardem, Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe, and I forget the one's name, but like they were so confident, like, oh, we're we're launching a cinematic universe. They've done one movie. Um and so the idea of doing that, like and launching a trilogy at this out without the success of one movie, it's kind of unprecedented. And the filming them back to back to back, I mean other times prior to this, you had the three and four musketeers in the late 1970s by the Salkinds who would do the same thing for Superman and Superman 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but that had its own production issues, and that's why they stopped shooting Superman 2 and released the first one. Thankfully, it was a gargantuan success, but Richard Donner was still fired, and they reshot so much of the movie for Superman 2. Um, and each movie had a budget of roughly around $93 million dollars. Uh, each, and you think about, like, that's a huge gamble on New Line's part. Yeah. Yeah. And so, with that in mind, that's when, like, the production started to get together and, like, alright, we gotta start putting in a cast together and all the crew, and it really was, like, a who's who of people coming together. Like, obviously, we got uh, unknowns and people who were legends already beginning the movie. Like, at one point, like, uh, 
uh, we had a different actor playing Aragorn. We, we were talking about this before recording. Stuart Townsend was cast as Aragorn, but everybody, a few people kind of felt he was a little too young. He was 29 at the time. They wanted a little bit older for Aragorn. And then so when, even though he had done like two months of pre-production and training, he had fired right before filming began. I think, uh, I think they even went, they started shooting some of his scenes. Um, up until they fired him. Yeah, apparently no one outside the studio has seen the footage. Yeah, but Jackson still has it because he doesn't throw anything away. He he, he admits he's a hoarder like that. <laughs> so what I, I think that what we need to do is we need to break into Peter Jackson's archive to find that we footage. Fly to New Zealand. Yes, we need to do. Oh my God, that's just reminding me of that uh, really bad Star Wars movie. Uh, there's, tangent, sorry. There was a Star Wars movie where a bunch of fan, uh, like, fanboys, fanboys, thank you, fanboys, a bunch of friends trying to get, make sure that their one friend who's dying of cancer gets to see Star Wars episode one before it's released. So they have to break into, um, Skywalker, Skywalker Ranch. Ranch. <laughs> Which has my favorite closing line to any movie. What if it sucks? Cut to black. <laughs> <laughs> that movie would have been better if it was rated R. You think it was hampered by the PG 13 rating? Yes. Hmm, maybe. It, it seems was, like an idea for an R-rated film. comedy, it, yeah. Oh, there was so much. I mean, there was a, they were in Vegas trying to get, uh, getting access code from, uh, William Shatner to get into, to, uh, Skywalker Ranch. And one of the guys gets, like, gets, uh, suckered in by a, by a hooker. And like, okay, that could have just easily paid for the R rating in itself and yeah. like comedic nudity. Yep. But no. Um, anyway, back to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> my last thing about the fanboys, my favorite joke about that movie is when Seth Rogen plays two roles, one as a Trekkie and the other as a Star Wars fan, and uh, he's got a Jar Jar back tattoo. Y- yeah, yeah, he was the pimp. Yeah, he's like, oh, Jar Jar is going to be the next big thing. <laughs> um... And yeah, and so uh, the cast of the movie, I mean, obviously, Frodo Baggins would eventually go to Elijah Wood, and who's known primarily up until that point as the kid from the movie North and The Good Son, when he kills Macaulay Culkin in the end, because yeah. Macaulay Culkin was a psychopath in that movie. Yes. Um, we have Ian Holm as Bilbo Baggins. Uh, I guess most famously up to this point, like he was obviously in Alien as Ash. Uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf, who was supposed to be Sean Connery. Yes, yes, that would have been a very different movie. And I have a theory why he didn't do it. Well, Sean, the, the Sean Connery supposedly read the script and he's like, I don't understandish. I'm going to make, uh, what's it, the League of Mysterious Sorry. Gentlemen? Yeah. Oops. That is a career move. Ah. Well, he was he was offered both. Lord of the Rings aims off at Morpheus in the Matrix. Uh, Morpheus makes l- probably less sense than Gandalf did. I don't know. For I, an elderly gentleman, I think... Uh, see, I, I can't... As much as I like Sean Connery, I can't picture him as Gandalf. No, I can't I can't either, either but, it, but uh, if you're going to... Which role would make more sense, Morpheus or Gandalf? Gandalf uh-huh. seems a little bit more straightforward. You're the yeah. elderly wizard that like, you're Obi Wan Kenobi, essentially. Yeah, but like also like at one point, this Will Smith is going to be Neo too. Yeah, that would have been a weird movie too. Yeah, Sean Connery and Will's that alternate <laughs> dimension that actually happened. <laughs> yeah, 
But like Will Smith recently like made a video of like how the pitch meeting went, and like the Wachowskis did not do a good pitch job. That's why he decided to do Wild Wild West instead. He made his money on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like he he had already just like uh he'd worked with Barry Seinfeld on Men in Black, and that was a huge hit. Like it makes sense why he would do Wild Wild West with him. Yeah, and, um, it, and the Matrix was such a gamble too. Yeah, and but like my theory is, um, the Matrix is being filmed in Australia. And Lord of the Rings filmed in New Zealand. Yeah. Leave Extraordinary Gem was shot in England. That probably helped too. I mean, to the point, like, I, there's a story where during the making of The Rock, Sean Connery had a shack built on Alcatraz for him so he didn't have to take the boat ride back and forth every day. I could totally see that. Yeah. But what, how old was he? I mean, he was what? How old was he when he passed away? 90 something? Yeah, I think uh, so he was in his late. 90s. So when he, if he was to take this role, he would have been his late sixties, early seventies. It'd be a lot, a lot on somebody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, but he's like what, ten years older than Ian McKellen, probably. Probably yeah. about, yeah. Just guessing. Yeah, but um, I mean, I don't yeah. think they. Fortunately enough, they casted the right Gandalf. Yes, and just I, I, I think this is a good time to bring it up, despite the. Uh, it's like it's an urban legend that Christopher Lee had Tolkien's blessing to play Gandalf. That's not quite true. Oh, um, apparently they only met once, and it was just like a very informal "How do you do?" Right. And I, so, I mean, I could kind of see that because a Christopher. Lee, I found out it was recently. Christopher Lee was related to Ian Fleming. They were cousins. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And knowing what Christopher Lee did for the British Secret Service in World War II, mm-hmm. I'm like, I can kind of see where James Bond came from a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, so I can kind of see, like, maybe they, Fleming and Tolkien ran in circles somewhere and ran into each other. Yeah, but, I mean... Christopher Lee was one of the famous, most famous uh, Tolkien readers and fans yes. prior to... Yeah, the, I mean, he did other fantasy movies. He did... Um... I mean, I'm surprised he didn't do the animated Lord of the Rings because he, uh, same studio did The Last Unicorn. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he was the voice of the main antagonist in that movie. Huh. Which, talk about a trippy movie. Last Unicorn, trippy movie. Nice. Yeah, the thing with Unicorn and its style, you know, has to be a little bit, you know, uh, out there. Yeah. I see your bit. point. Um, All right. And that, <laughs> I that just got it. Fuck. Uh, the horse just left the barn on that joke. <laughs> No, no, that that was stretching it there. You failed on the second attempt. (laughs) I I mean, like, a part of me also, like, just, like, idea, like, what if Richard Harris and Ian McKellen switch roles? What if it was Richard Harris as Gandalf and McKellen as uh, as Dumbledore? Yeah, that would have been, that actually would have been perfect because we would have got Richard Harris for all of... Half a movie? No, No, because they shot it all at once. Oh, good point. I... I mean, maybe some of the pickups for uh, Return of the King, Richard Harris wouldn't have been around for, but we probably would have got most of. But there's everything they needed for that, and we would have got. What, but would he have a had really good Dumbledore? Oh for yeah, you wouldn't have. <laughs> 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 I you don't even have to say words. You just have to go. grumble. And you get the adaptation of or of Goblet of Fire. Yeah, yeah but but Richard Harris as uh, Gandalf, he probably I don't know how physically capable he would have done in like more of the action heavy sequences yeah. though. Uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, they had a body double in. Oh yeah, they yeah, had. yeah. Uh, but like 
I'm just thinking of like the famous moment from this movie is when Gandalf faced on against the Barrelog. I'm like, I wonder could Richard Harris reach that level of that projection yeah. and intensity? Uh, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Um, we would have well, eventually would have Sean Bean as Boromir, continuing his. I, I, Death streak. <laughs> I kill, only do one movie. His kill count is out of control right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I love like when Lord of the Rings is brought up in the Martian, like he just kind of shapelessly like moves away from camera, like they don't cut to him at all. <laughs> um, Sean Aston as uh, Sam, mm-hmm. who was the most experienced of the Hobbits because he had been like acting long as he was the oldest of them all, and who's kind of vocal of the pay that um, he received for the three movies. Because mm. he was paid $250,000 over the course of all three movies. Mm. Yeah, that was a lump sum. Okay, that definitely seems low-balled. Yeah. A little Especially bit. Especially by how much, how heavily he's in, in the movies, yeah. Especially the last two. <laughs> he, yeah. <laughs> It's an easy joke. He literally carries the second, second half of Return of the King. But on Cha. You are just... I preface it with I knew it was going to be a bad joke. <sighs> he he that, did. He that did. doesn't make it better. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it worse. Oh, what? That don't, I don't give you a warning? There's this a reason a... premeditated murder is worse than manslaughter. <laughs> All right, fine. You got me there. Uh, Billy Boyd would go on to play Peregrine Took. <laughs> and it's a lovely story about when he turned 30 on the, as he was getting on the plane to go on down to New Zealand. So he had champagne with Orlando Bloom, who played Legolas on the plane. By the time the time zones he got there, when he got to New Zealand, he turned 30 again. So they got more champagne to celebrate his birthday. <laughs> um, oh, so we would have, like, I'm just going off the, the cats here in uh, IMDb. Uh, Dominic Monaghan would play Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm so glad it was you that turned me on to yeah. the, 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 the their podcast. It is just adorable. Yes. Um, then we would have Andy Circus would do the motion capture and the voice of Gollum slash Smeagol. Mm-hmm. And I do find it curious that even within the confines of the Fellowship of the Ring, they don't show Gollum that much. He's very kept in the shadows because they were not done with yeah. the, their final design on Gollum until they got to the two towers. Yeah, you, the biggest close-up was we got his glowing eyes when we were in the, the Mines of Moria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was that was it. And even that's different from how he looks in the two towers. It, yeah, very. Yeah. Just the, the silhouette from the prologue, you can tell it's kind of the same shape, but it's not. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's that, like that look of that silhouette of in the prologue is definitely very concept art heavy. Yeah. Um, well, we would have Hugo Weaving as Elrond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> why is it that I can fly between New Zealand and Australia, but Sean Connery can't? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I kind of feel back because he's. Like his, his, how he looks is with his hair is pulled back and everything. He's got a very large forehead. Yeah, but you know, I always, as a kid, well, once I saw the Matrix and Lord of the Rings, I always wondered: Did he show up to set on either movie wearing the outfit of the other? <laughs> like, it's like oh, Frodo wakes up in Rivendell, <laughs> Mister Anderson. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, you have this one test, this one doom. <laughs> Cast it into the fire! <laughs> Wrong movie, Hugo. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Recenters himself. Okay, and now I'm good. Um, John Reese davies says Gimli. Mm. You know why the dwarves stumbled across the Balrog, right? Why is that? We were digging in the wrong place. I thought my jokes were bad. <laughs> I think I'm just going to leave. <laughs> uh, which, like, I always find it funny. Like, he's like 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, and they cast him as the dwarf. Yeah, but he's wide. Yes. So, so it works. I just wonder how many scenes, like, it's just him kneeling on an apple box in a lot of his close-ups. <laughs> he has, like, um, <laughs> he has just, like, heavy-duty like, industrial knee pads on the entire time. Yeah. And, like, obviously, like, there was a lot of scale doubles for, um, for the Hobbits and for, um, for Gandalf as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, there's a funny story later on where I think, yeah, it was Kieran who is the stunt, who's the scale double for Frodo. When they're rowing down the river near the, uh, like, heading towards the climax of the film, Kieran tells, like, whispers to Vigo, while the camera's rolling, like, Vigo, if we roll, we're not gonna roll. If we roll over, save yourself. Why? Why, 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 why would you say something like that? I can't swim. What? And Vigo Morris is now even more petrified rowing the boat now. He has it, <laughs> not only for his own safety, but his co-star's safety now. I mean, they're wearing heavy outfits. And chainmail. Yeah, they're legitimately going to be weighed down. Um, apparently, the, the people who made the chainmail, uh, like, that was their only job in the movie, was just yep. make piles and piles. Chain and they, they rubbed off their fingerprints. I can I can believe that. It's the perfect. Uh, yeah, they yeah they're the cr- criminals. They couldn't there. outsource that to like authentic like re- like blacksmiths who do that. I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure they probably hired them. Probably they brought them into in house. I mean, so much of the stuff was done in house. I mean, to the point that like like all the visual effects, but they did outsource some of the visual effects to other studios and everything. But, right, like, but like there's so many like blacksmiths and like Renaissance fair people that make authentic chainmail. You couldn't just like hey. Here's an order for a shit ton of this stuff. Make it, like, that would have saved the, I, I don't boosted know. the economy of Renaissance Fairs, at least. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I, like, also, like, with the success of Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, I want to see what oh, the, the, the economics of Ren Fairs that happen Here afterwards. He, he. Our supply is thou sold outeth. <laughs> as a joke, somebody, like, made a post, like, you should dress up as a Star Shrek character and go to a Ren Fair, and you'd just be like, you're just, you're just visiting that world. Oh, yeah, it's like the scene from Loki. Yes, just like that. Um, Ke- <laughs> uh, and my lady is a Ren Fair fan, so I may end up doing that. I may end up just dressing up as a Star Trek I have character. never been to a Ren Fair. I was supposed to go when I was in middle school. Unfortunately, the weekend we were supposed to go, I think we got hit by a tropical storm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of dehydration. I'm not a fan of dehydrating. What? So what? You you only get water from a trough? Is that why you're worried? (laughs) They have wells. It's it's actually a it's a game grumps joke uh, because um, anyone who's a game grumps fan out there, there was an episode where they talk about the run fair and. Danny on the show is like, I, I haven't went to the rent fair uh, this year. And Aaron goes, yeah, you know, love the rent fair. Fucking love the rent fair. Not a fan of heat stroke. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Liv Tyler would play Arwen, Elrond's daughter. Ugh, the first. 
honestly probably my first crush. Really? For, for celebrity crush. I, I don't blame you. Um, I was, we mentioned before Christopher Lee would play Saruman the White. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Blanchett as, uh, Galadriel, Lady of the Light. That was an early crush of mine. Yeah. Um, she hasn't aged at all since. She's an elf, so. This is, yeah. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. She just, 20 years later, still <laughs> looks gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, somebody made a meme. Is like, when you first meet me, it's Kate Blanchett as, uh, as Galadriel. Mm-hmm. And then, no, uh, it's Hella from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> 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 and she's, yeah, I, I imagine she probably bays in the blood of virgins. Like, that's how, that's the only way to, you can explain the, the fountain of youth that she's found. Yeah. Um, Beagle Morrison, who would cast as Aragorn, and his very first scene was fighting the ring race at the top of Weathertop. Oh, okay. Like, that's, yeah, just jump right in. You know what would be hysterical? They didn't tell any of the cast that there was a casting change. He just shows up. He's just there, and it's like, (laughs) you're not Stuart Townsend. (laughs) Who the fuck are you? (laughs) Is that the stunt double? (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't look like Stuart. Oh, Stuart's fired. Oh, Stuart's fired. Oh, okay. Um... And the, the cast goes on and on. I've mentioned before, Orlando Bloom as Legolas. And, yeah. Uh, and so, filming began in late 1999. It would go an entire year, over a year, of original principal photography. And then throughout, up until throughout 2003, there would be many pickups happen. So, people kept flying back down to uh, New Zealand to do new scenes and things that added on. And so, like, like people say, like, you want to have, like, the script of Lord of the Rings. It's because it was rewritten, like, every single day. Yeah. Yeah. You had new pages every night. So, like, you can't – unless it's just, like, we just copied the movies and here's the script. Like, there's no real original script that you'd have for this movie. Like, that's why I kind of felt bad that well, – one thing they told on the documentaries is that Brad Dorf shaved his eyebrows five times in the making of this movie because all the times they had to come back down to New Zealand to play uh, Grimer. Okay. It's got to, like, you just go back to Los Angeles, like, sir, what happens to you? I was trying to get a ring of power! And just go full Chucky right there on the customs agent, and he ends up in trouble. And because everything was show, shot out of order, like, things were, like, shot on different days and everything, like, think of it this way, like, there's a scene in Return of the King where... Strong ass and asked, like, hey, maybe I can, I can carry the ring for a little while. And like, and like, this is when Frodo's going full addict right here. Sam's side of the scene was shot November 1999, and then the reverse was shot a year later. They couldn't do the reverse because a lot really? of, because, um, just time and there's a lot of things that a lot of users cover sets like oh it's raining we gotta shoot indoors somewhere like okay what scene can we build indoors and we can do right now like okay we can do this and so we built part of the stairs they probably finished that day and like oh it's we, it's nice that we gotta shoot outside and then they came back years late like a year later to shoot the other side of the scene mm-hmm. hell I mean at, when the when everybody says goodbye to Frodo at, as he's going up to the Great Havens, that's like in the first week of production. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that. Like the, yeah. the very end of the movie of the trilogy was shot like the first thing. Which, Which wouldn't it have been? 
I mean, I know that's like for just production wise, but wouldn't it have been emotionally better for cast and crew to that would be the final thing? That would be the one thing you end production on. Yeah, it always really blew my mind as a kid. Though, like the first time I learned that movies are shot out of order. Yeah, I when I first found out they were all shot like yeah, like all together, I, it blew my mind. Um, because as a kid, I always thought movies were shot like yeah, by just, scene by scene in that order. Like, like, what was it? Like, later on, we see uh, Gandalf and Minas Tirith, like, investigating what the Ring of Power is. Like, that's on the Minas Tirith set. Mm-hmm. So he'd been shooting as Gandalf the Wife for, like, six months up to that point. And then all of a sudden has to throw on Gandalf the Grey uh, outfit to do that scene. Yeah, it looked like shit again, dude. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, it is kind of weird to get, like... Uh, but you think about it, you think of the ending Return of the King, you don't think about, like, oh, it doesn't seem emotionally false. It seems like there's, no. there's genuine emotion there, and you got to imagine, like, that's just the rapport the actors had, even only knowing each other for such a short time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When? I mean, I'm assuming that this took up a lot of production, but Ian McKellen was very busy in the early 2000s. Yes. When did he shoot X-Men? He literally got wrapped in X-Men early so he can go down... Uh, to Lord of the Rings, like he showed up later than everybody else because okay. he was film, film, finishing uh, X Men. Oh, okay. Because I was like, wait, didn't X Men come out in two thousand or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. July two thousand. Um, right. So yeah, like, uh, like it was literally like they were like they started for a couple weeks without a Gandalf. Okay, <laughs> like which I mean, actually fits in with the Gandalf from the Hobbit. because yeah, he, he keeps because he keeps disappearing in that book. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> Off to get some dank holy kush now. Excuse me. <laughs> what? Say that I again? only come. <laughs> I only come to the Shire to get this stone, this fucking dank weed, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Which is supposed to be tobacco, right? Yes. Hundred percent, yes. Okay. But uh, but it, but everyone made a joke because like Bilbo's like this is the best weed in all the Shire, like. We all we yes. all know it's supposed to be tobacco. It's strange though, because like you, Middle Earth is supposed to be like this, you know, ancient interpretation of, you know, England and and Western Europe. But the Shire has like, you know, there, there's these strange. I don't know if they're anomalies, but like anachronisms. Anachronisms, because like uh, tobacco and tomatoes are. Uh, a thing, a a thing that wasn't around in Europe until after uh 1492. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they were eating tomatoes at one point in a couple scenes and yeah. throughout all three movies. Which apparently, like on the commentary track, like I think it was Philip Boyne's, like literally like tore through the book to see, like, wait, did Tolkien mention tomatoes, tomatoes. somewhere specifically? Mm-hmm. And he does. But I think that's one of the things that Tolkien kind of like yeah. waned on later on yeah, afterwards. Because it wouldn't have made sense, like, like the whole conceit of Lord of the Rings, because, like, England didn't have their own mythology. You had the King Arthur s- story, but that's about it. And that, even that is mostly uh, something that only appeared in England until after the the Norman Conquest, right? So it's basically a, a French tale. Yeah, and you also had Beowulf, which is an Icelandic. Yeah, the, Beowulf is old English. Oh, okay, Beowulf that's is old English. That's probably okay. the closest. Um, that's probably the closest 
thing England has to a true um, national story, mm -hmm. I guess. No, it makes sense. Vikings uh, but, uh, settled, like, what, Vikings settled the British Isles and it was Beowulf because he brought Christianity there? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah. Because weren't they pagans up until that point? Yes. Even, uh, I think even Beowulf has roots not in Britain, I'm going to use the term Britons as, mm -hmm. um, Indigenous people to the, the British islands. Um, Beowulf, I think, is an Anglo-Saxon thing. They came over from uh, northern Germany, uh, Denmark. Mm. Not France, mm. mostly northern Europe. And okay. I think they are the ones that took uh, the tale of Beowulf with them. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, he's... People have, like, said, like, um, like even with Macbeth... Like the ending of the back when like the forest itself encroaches on the 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 castle of Macbeth and Macbeth like starts losing his shit when that's when the siege begins. Like mm -hmm. like Tolkien was such an environmentalist, that's why like the creation of the Ents, that's why when the Ents raid Isengard, like that's like his iteration of that, his version of that. Now, like people read so much into the true meaning of Lord of the Rings, like was his was his representing of this? Was it like, but Tolkien was famous not like not believing in true analogs or a one to one comparison. Like people made that like that idea like was like the Dead Marshes that like, you could read and say like is that the trenches of World War One, um, and the, the Battle of Middle Earth like is this a a necessary battle like like World War Two was like people has slain criticism against it, saying, like, oh, it's a pro-war tale. Mm, I don't read this as pro-war, because these, it's a, if you're reading it as pro-war, you're missing the point, I think. Yes. Because this is... If you were to take this into, like, a World War One, World War Two thing, this is, like, um, essentially the Dirty Dozen that were banded together to do this very highly specific mission and to end the war faster. Yeah, so and we're probably not all going to make it back. Exactly. Yeah. So the Fellowship was the Dirty Dozen, and essentially Sam and Frodo were the last two members of the Dirty Dozen to blow up the enemy. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, I think it, only three people make it out of the Dirty Dozen. Yeah. And, like, one of them's, like, paralyzed from, like, the waist down. Yep. Um, Cried. Uh, Cried so hard. Tell you was really fucked up that entire mission. <sighs> what? Just... Mm. Yeah, have to have a podcast about Dirty Dozen. I'm all about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and but also like when we mentioned before, like C.S. Lewis, like C.S. Lewis's his links to especially Christianity are yeah. very overt, overt, blatant. If you want, which did ruffle the feathers of, I guess you would say, a recovering Catholic that was Tolkien, yeah. or um, yeah, because I don't obviously this is. You can argue that this is a more pagan world with Lord of the Rings. It doesn't have too many links to Christianity, even though you can make the argument there there are links to to it. If you read the Silmarillion, it's it's which I have not. So very the mythology is very similar to Christianity, where there's like one god, and then there's essentially archangels, and then Gandalf is. 
probably the closest Christian comparison is he is an angel. Well, yeah, I guess you could say all the wizards are because yes. they're essentially immortal. There's like, a, there's just like there's like a hierarchy in the Christian world with like angels and yeah, okay, and demons. There's a, a hierarchy to like the fantastic beings in Middle Earth. I didn't like, know. This. Was it like? But Sauron himself is a. He's he's the same level, quote. Uh, as, as Gandalf. He is a Maya, is that the Maiar, yes. Maiar, excuse me. And then same thing, so is the Barolog, in a different, mm-hmm. it's just a very corrupt. Yes. Just a, a corrupted spirit. Yeah. Hmm. And then even Sauron, like, if, going to Samuel, he answers to somebody. Yes, Melkor. Melkor. Who is like a, a, kind of like Lucifer. Yes. Hmm. Oh, it, it, like this. This is you, getting really deep cut. For oh me. yeah, like like the, I opened up a can of worms. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I figured this was gonna happen. <laughs> That's why I like this YouTube channel. I think it's called Men of the West, and okay. and there's a Middle Earth history like that goes far deeper into the history of Lord of the Rings and everything. It's really fascinating. Um, so where does Tom Bombadil fall? That's he's an anomaly. He, yeah. we don't, we don't know what just, he is. He's just he's there. just there. But like he also like he. People have read into like maybe he is a a Meyer as well because of his powers because he I, does have some kind of ability. Oh, yes, he, he's not affected by the ring at all. No, he, but he's like true neutral though. Yes, yes, he doesn't care as long as I have my honey. That's really it. Mm-hmm. And and he's like people have read into the fact that that that's his Tolkien's analog in the like that's him in the book. Or he's Tom you, Bombadil, or like people have read that and that. Also, um, oh, the uh, lead end. I'm blanking on his name right now. Treebeard. Treebeard. That's also to- like somebody read like could be Tolkien putting himself in the book. Uh, just a little. Treebeard, I could see as yeah, like Tolkien, but a little bit, little side story. Um, because it was really like I thought it was hysterical. I went hiking in the Smoky Mountains not too like a couple years ago. And one of the guys, so jealous. Yeah, gorgeous dude. <laughs> one of the guides is very knowledgeable about like different uh, fauna and flora and everything. And we stopped at one point in like day three. Everyone's tired. It's a long day. We're walking, and this one girl just goes, "I haven't seen a tree like that. What type of tree is that?" And he looks up. He's like, "Oh, that's an ant." And she goes, "An ant." And then he goes, "You don't look like hobbits to me." <laughs> I was the only one laughing. <laughs> uh, tree, he's like, I am with his no arms tree. Uh, boy, uh, he was like, okay, that was dumb. I was like, I thought it was funny. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, tree, beard. yeah, tree beard. Um, yeah, Malcor lights a fallen like a fallen angel and everything. Um. Yeah, so we can get far more into the weeds of that if we really wanted to. Yeah, but this is about the movie. So. Yeah, so the movie opens up with a prologue of spoken by Galadriel, and which initially was not part of the movie whatsoever. Really, the, the filmmakers and the studio went back and forth if they wanted a prologue or not. Um, oh, I think it, this was desperately needed. Oh yes. Like, at one point, it was going to open just on Bilbo in the Shire, and all the information about the ring was going to be delivered by Gandalf to Frodo once he returned to Hobbit. Expedition dump. Yeah, it was going to be like seven minutes longer than the scene that we get in in Hobbit's, at the, at uh, Frodo's home. And and so, like, 
they were like, all right, maybe we want a prologue, maybe we want, don't want a prologue, and then like studio on the prologue, and then the filmmakers like, no, we don't want to. And then when they got to London and they were mixing everything and doing the scoring, like we need the prologue back in there. And the studio said, okay, it can only be two minutes in length. Wasn't it seven minutes? Yeah. yeah. So they there was another battle, but it was like one of the few battles that the filmmakers had with the new line right there was of. The prologue, and because like you got to take into account the, the length of the movie, because it was nearly three hours long, just as a theatrical cut, and we'll, we will be discussing the extended cuts throughout here. I think it's just the, it's just the right thing to do. Um, but we find out that the the rings were created. Uh, three were given to the elves, um, and th- th- three were given to Galadriel. Um, ah, fuck, I forgot her. You know this. This isn't easy to. No, I, would, I forget. I forget the gentleman. I'm not even, I'm not I forget. Going. The, he's the other person in Lothorian with Galadriel. Um, shit. Teleborn. Teleborn. No. And then, then, don't give me the. All right, I don't know. You gotta tell me. Uh. Oh fuck you! If you you're gonna bust my balls about it, you don't one, know it. No, one is definitely Galadriel. Yeah. It, yeah. I can't see now. I'm trying to remember. How it changed him. One of them went to Gilgalad. Yes. Um, who is? It, it just reminds me of Gilgamesh. Just, just the name wise, right there. But how do I Google this? The, the three Elvish rings. Yeah. Three. We should probably show this at the top. We are fans, not experts. Um. Yeah, it's been a while since I brushed up on this lore too. Um, the third one went to. Uh, originally, I think ended up in the hands of. Kyrden, right, who is a shipwright and the Great Havens, mm-hmm. and when Gandalf arrived in Middle Earth, he gave it, he gave his to Gandalf. And if you look closely, he is wearing it in the movies. Yeah, so it is Gandalf, Galdriel, and Elrond are the three keepers. Yes, uh, Gilgalad's ends up in Elrond's possession. Okay, okay, um, and then. Uh, uh, seven sure. sewage dwarf lords. Yep. Yeah, um, no, that'd be a deep cut. Name all the seven dwarf lords. Oh, <laughs> not even Tolkien ex- experts. Know. No, and then okay, his- now name all the nine kings. <laughs> the nine kings. Bet you didn't know there was a secret twelve ring set that was given to the hobbits, <laughs> or the oh, thirteen how- that went to the. That's how they. Not, not the that's phantom. how they grew the the pipe weed. <laughs> at 87 87 were given to the goblins who had no idea the fuck to do with them and that's the one thing that Sauron was a ringmaker. yes and he, he was a sorcerer did he, did he just get jealous he's like I want a fucking ring Mm. Everyone else got rings. I didn't get a ring. I'm going to no, make a wing that's better than everyone. Try, so, mm, let me hammer this ring! <laughs> they don't go into this in the prologue, but in the backstory in uh, the Silmarillion, the idea to create all these rings to help, you know, give all these, um, all the races these little extra powers is Sauron's idea. Posing as, you know, someone who's on their side who wants to help the world. Oh. That's why he's called Sauron the Deceiver. 
he he like he turned on a different identity. And that's identity. why he made one ring to yes. control everyone's. Yeah. Uh, so Sauron doesn't make uh, all the rings, but he kind of like instructs instructs the um gives the, blue, the elven smiths yeah. to make all the rings, and then Sauron's like, okay, thanks for all your help. <laughs> I'm just gonna go away now. And then Mordor makes it just shudders into to... into the shadows, and that's when he you does know, his evil deeds. Yeah, like that little bit of nugget makes it a little bit way more interesting because, like, you, okay, this one ring is powerful; it brings back Sauron. Well, but you, you say that, but the prologue in the animated uh, edition of yeah, the Lord of the Rings, they go into that deep backstory, oh. and it sucks. Okay, never mind that. Too much expedi- uh, yes. exposition. Okay. Because um, then you just, you basically get the explanation I just gave in a movie, and it, it just drags it down. Okay, well, I, it's a fun nugget to know. Yes, it is, it is good to know. It's just how it's presented. Okay, right, and, I thought he was just being a petty douchebag. No. They want a ring. And like, he was gonna even show up, Sarwan in his physical form, he was gonna show up as the deceiver. In the Return of the King. Thank God they fucking scrapped that idea. Like no. he was gonna, you know, when Aragorn fights a troll at the Black Gates. I'm trying to remember. Um, yes. Like he's like he almost dies. Like he gets pinned under the, like the the cave troll, like that's armored up and everything. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. That was gonna be the Deceiver. It was gonna be the angelic version of Sauron, the one he he the the form he took on. That's oh, what no. they deceived all yeah, these races. Why sucks? But. Well, now that but 20 feet tall. if you give it the, the deceiver thing, don't you think it's like Lucifer, like tempting Jesus in the desert? That would have been his role more. Yeah. And that's what, like, that's another thing. I'm I think with. I did hear criticism like, oh, I don't see, I never saw Sauron as like a pinheaded armor, we, armor dude. Right. Like, like the, the form that we see him in mostly, like when we see him constructing the ring and then when he, we see the final battle of the last alliance here where that, once the One Ring is created, the Yorks attack Middle Earth, and this is the last time up until this point that we, the last band of men and elves fi- fight on the, the shores of Mount Doom itself, and everything seems to be going well until, uh, like, Player Two has entered the fight here, and Sauron just starts running uh, rampage I have on the everybody. Codes. <laughs> yeah, he does put on God mode here, uh, and starts uh, destroying everybody. And like, the reason why uh, he's shown to be so powerful here is to make the ring to be that much of a threat. Um, we see Isildur, who is the prince of Gondor at this point, and his father is killed in the battle, and when. He tries to defend himself against uh, the encroaching Sauron. That's when Narsil, the sword of the king, is broken. But mm-hmm. the shards is what separates Sauron from the ring. And since his entire being is now connected to the ring, being separated causes him to implode. Yep. I'll uh, buy it. Completely normal implosion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, uh, if Gadriel... Got her finger cut off. Would she also implode? No. No. Because her being is, is, is not completely tied with that ring. Because she was, she existed before it. Uh, well, so does Sauron. Yeah, but he poured his entire being into mm, it, though. Into the yeah, creation to make it that powerful. I guess. Kind of like a Horcrux. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Damn it, JK. <laughs> yeah. There's some pretty egregious, uh, things in, in the Harry Potter franchise that were, uh, 
homages Sa- from, from the Lord of like Rings. Sauron talking. sends a cease and desist to Voldemort. <laughs> I, I mean, like the Dementors and the Ring Race are. Oh, as a kid, I always when I read the about the Dementors, I only could picture the Ring Wraiths in yeah. my head. I mean, like the fact like, that they have an effect on the environment they go around in, yeah. what have you. Um, but uh, Sildor, it's rather than destroy the ring, takes it and brings it back to Gondor, or tries to anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go well. No, nope. no, and this is like the one rope, really ropey effect in the extended cuts when we see yeah. uh, Sildor clearly on a green screen set, put on the ring and disappear because he looks like he's not part. Of the no, he's not there at all. No, and also the green screen of him in the water. Yeah, yes, where the ring flies off his fingers, like. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> and he gets capped like uh, like it's nobody's business by orcs, and his body goes floating around. I, the I, I'd sue the armor because, damn, he's wearing a boatload of plate mail, chain mail, and those plank, arrows plank, plank, plank. just went right into him. <laughs> he's the, he's your king too. He's supposed to have the best of armors. <laughs> he got he got screwed. Oh man, no wonder dwarven uh, armor is so expensive. <laughs> And, and you thought in, in Skyrim, you think dwarf uh, stuff would be better, but it's not. It's not. It's okay, but it's just really fucking heavy. What, in Skyrim? Yeah. Yeah. No. When well, I they found myself in They're dead in Skyrim. I know. In fact, and this is another really nerdy thing about me, dwarves in Skyrim aren't actual dwarves. No, they're, they're completely elves. different. Yeah. Yeah, there's no real dwarves in Skyrim. Yeah. Huh. They just live underground. Interesting. Like the Thalmir? Uh, oh, there's two, there's two, two very similar names. Well, the ones are blind. Dwemer. Dwemer? Dwemer is dwarf. Mm. No, 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 not, uh, no. And, uh, Thalmer are the snow elves that. Yeah, there's around. a Falmer and the Thalmir. Like, with an F and with a TH. Yeah. And the one with the TH, they're all elves. Yes. It's just depending on where you it's live. It's very, very strange. Yeah. Anyway. Like I said, it was a very long, uh, uh, pandemic. <laughs> I brushed up on some uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> like, like if we could somehow like, we brought up D and D, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. If we can oh, s- I can bring up more Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, like, if we could squeeze in Magic the Gathering in here somewhere, D&D. just as a, a joke. And this we- is where the plane. This is where the uh, the planeswalkers come in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so twenty five hundred years, the the ring is out of sight, out of mind, but only under like an eighth of an inch of silt. It's just you think of like, how. Lakes and rivers change and erode and what have you. Yeah, I mean, look at the, what it is now. Like, okay, we're digging up stuff from a hundred years ago that's like twelve feet underground. Yeah, um, and it's found by the creature uh, Gollum or Smeagol at the time. And we, he, at the five hundred years, um, transforms into the creature known as Gollum. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which, I, I do have this question here. Okay. Bilbo had the ring for 60 years because he finds it after during the, the events of The Hobbit. And he ages rapidly once he's separated from the ring. Yeah. Why doesn't Gollum like shrivel up in the 60 I, I, years being separated was... from the ring? So the way I understand it is there's a significant, the significant difference is Gollum never gave up the ring. The ring was stolen from him. Yes. So he was still. Phys- he was still physically and mentally attached to it. Um, Bilbo, the significant scene was him dropping the ring in his uh, at his front door. Mm-hmm. He made the decision to give it up, right? So that therefore detaching himself from the hold that the ring has over him. 
I think that's definitely part of it. I also think the longer you are in possession of the ring, the more it um, it affects you. So because Gollum had it for literally 500 years. Yeah. By the way, not bad looking 500 year old man. I've yeah. seen worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so because he had, he had it for that long, um, you know, it, once he loses it, he's still affected by it. Whereas Bilbo had it, yeah, 60 years is a long time, but, not that long compared to it's a blink in the eye for yeah. the rings like lifetime anyway it's i, I mean <laughs> even for a hobbit 60 years is not that no long no the hobbits live along like most of these creatures do live long lives yeah. um it's just more so than others like elves obviously are immortal unless they're killed in battle um numenorians live longer than humans Wizards uh, are immortal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's always weird. Like, nope. Like, never, we never see the blue wizards in either of the adaptations. Of we whatever. don't see a glimpse of the blue wizards in the Hobbit movies? Nope. No. Oh. We, did, we have a mention of them. They naff off somewhere out east uh, beyond Mordor, at, like, as soon as they arrive oh. in Middle-earth. Okay. <laughs> Radigus, like, the brown, like, he's found his... Place in like near Merkward and with his, which I I've not read the books. Like, does Radigus play like any kind of part in Lord of the Rings? In the he's not. I don't think he plays that significant role in the Hobbit. Not in the Hobbit. He does have a very minor role in Fellowship of the Ring. Um. So once, uh, once Gandalf. Uh, tells Frodo to get out of the Shire. Um, the first person that Gandalf goes to see isn't Saruman. It's, um, Radagast. Oh, yeah. I think it's just, you know, hey, what's going on? Have you seen anything weird going on? Because Radagast's thing is he's very connected to, uh, nature. Right. Like, uh, birds and beasts. So, like, the footage that we see during the Hobbit, the movie of, like, the changing of the world around him was probably things that were occurring during Lord of the Rings timeline. Yes. Um, and Radagast basically says, yeah, things have been a bit strange. You should go see Saruman. Or, like, Saruman had been, you know, asking for you. Right. And that's what leads him to Heisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I remember seeing a meme not too long ago. It's the it's the first scene between Saruman and Gandalf. They're walking in Saruman's garden, and Saruman's line like hey, clearly the the halfling's uh, pipe weed has sl- clearly cl- slowed your mind. And it's a close up of Gandalf like yeah, well, uh, it's like your opinion, man. <laughs> CGI r- bright red eyes. Like, yeah, well, you know, uh, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> It's confused in McKellen's face right there. Um, and so Bilbo finds it during his adventures during The Hobbit mm-hmm. um, when he's uh, after the trial of riddles between him and Gollum at that point, which uh, I, I remember reading The Hobbit and like that's the only one I've read from beginning to end, but 
I read the entire stuff dealing with the cave, like the, the the cave goblins and everything under the mountain. Not Hurricane Sandy, but the hurricane afterwards. It's the it's the next the following year, the next one we had. It knocked out the power, and I read that by candlelight. Oh, and it was the perfect way to read that section. As soon as they got out of the mountain, I'm like I blew out the candle. Like no, it's not going to be the same right here. It had to be read at nighttime by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for sixty years, Bilbo has it, and then it's his birthday here in the Shire. One hundred and eleventh birthday. birthday. Yay! Yay! Which in the books they do mention that it's a significant year for hobbits. Yes, and it's also Frodo's birthday as well. Yes, yeah. he's like four, thirty. Thirty. Yeah, which is a big year. Uh, sorry, thirty-three, which is a big year. So that's like uh, they like repeating coming numbers. of age. Yeah, yeah, and they give presents rather than receive presents. That's yeah. like that's a, another custom of them. Uh, but we see here in the movie that this is when Bilbo is chronicling his life and telling the story of the Hobbit pretty much and his life and everything. And he wonders where to begin. Ha! Ah, concerning Hobbits. And it is pretty funny to see this, the, the, the mundanity of, I don't know if I'm thinking of what, the mundane life of Hobbits, knowing what the world is going on around them. And it's a, it's a simple farmer's life. But just seeing this on film, like, if I can visit any place of, like, fiction, like, this would be one of the places I want to see. And it's actually kind of the only place in fiction you can literally visit. Yes. They yes. haven't got rid of it in New Zealand. Well, I, that's another thing I want to do when I, when I get to New Zealand. Is like, obviously, visiting the Shire. Yeah, I mean, I looked into it. It's like five grand to do the uh, Lord of the Rings tour through New Zealand. Oh. That's without the plane ticket. <laughs> It's probably worth it, though. I know. It would be a chance of a lifetime to do so. <laughs> I mean, I would love to re- just relocate to New Zealand in general because it seems like a beautiful it nation. sounds like it's amazing there. Um, and this is when Gandalf and Frodo meet for the first time again, I'd say. And then we get the famous line, like, when Frodo... Oh, claims, late. <laughs> oh, wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely what he means to. And then he stares at him and goes, <laughs> I'm so fucking funny. <laughs> Another great meme is like, the wizard is never late. It's like, sir, this is a Delta check-in line. You have missed your flight. <laughs> but how do you feel about this? Like the introduction to the Shire and Gandalf's relationship with Frodo and everything. Completely necessary, because the concerning hobbits isn't in the uh, theatrical cut. That was something they uh, added on in the extended edition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to see what the Shire is, what it looks like, and get those extra uh, minutes in this uh, comfort zone for these characters. That way you know what's at stake uh, for the rest of the films. I agree. Yeah, it just kind of shows you the just where they're coming from and then they, the dramatic, how dramatic it is by the time they reach Mordor where it's just fire and black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's the only time we get to see Sam actually a gardener. Mm-hmm. Sam actually doing his job. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, just like the the rapport between the two of them, like like where Gandalf can be kind of mysterious, and then Frodo like jousts him for trying to keep his secrets. All right, you keep your secrets. Uh, <laughs> or even like the even the little moment when the 
the children run after uh, Gandalf, knowing what he's about, and then like they want fireworks, and they just go on. Oh, and just sets up a few fireworks, <laughs> even though he's considered a disturber of the peace. <laughs> and Proudfoot, uh, mean mugging him the entire time he's there. Proudfeet. <laughs> and this one, Bilbo gets reintroduced to Gandalf here. Bilbo Baggins. Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf. <laughs> Here, let me get you loaded. You want some wine? You got some whiskey? You got some shit? You want some, you got some nice hookah back there? Another <laughs> <laughs> great meme. Like, when you're at a party offered, uh, like, alcohol, weed, coke, meth, and you're like, just tea, just please. Tea, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or another one where it's just like, no, thank you. We don't want any well wishers. Oh, well wishers. I can't remember the line now. Uh, or distant relations. I forget the, I always forget the middle one. And then it's like, oh, what about very old friends? And somebody put Masha Man Reality Service's head on Gandalf. He's like, what about the cream of the crop? Bilbo opens the door. Uh, Macho Mandolf! <laughs> that would be a very different movie, too. WWE made Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you shall not pass. Near fly, you fools. The entrance music. What, the Balrog is Hulk Hogan? By God, that's the Balrog's music. <laughs> Listen here, brother! <laughs> like, oh my god, Warrior's shaking at the, the, the pissier power of his voice. <laughs> oh my so, goodness. Saruman is the third man. It's like the ring just has John Cena's face on it because you put it on, you can't see him. <laughs> That's how the ring race know. Oh they hear god. John Cena's theme music. That's how they. <laughs> They hear those horns. You you disappear, but the John Cena music. Uh, Oh lord! (laughs) Be a very counterproductive ring. Uh, So wait, is that mean Sauron is John Cena? I was going to say Vince McMahon is is Sauron, but that's beside the point. Um. I love this little moment here when uh, Ian McKellen bops his head against the... Yeah, it's very playful, very... Which was an accident. Yeah. That was an accident? Yeah. Oh, uh, that yes. seemed almost on purpose. And he just kept acting, and they're like, oh, we got to keep that in. <laughs> and, and it was difficult because, like, they had two sets of, uh, like, of Bilbo's home. The interior? Yeah, because they had one of that's three times too small for... For Gandalf, and then large size for Bilbo, and they had to do a lot of like, like those shots of them both in the frame at the same time. They had to do a lot of motion control capturing between the two uh, actors right there to make it to make it seamless and bl- and blend the two sets together. And it would get to such a point when it's kind of like an infamous mo- infamous moment when they made the Hobbit, where Ian McKellen is on a green screen set. That's three times too small, and he's got a radio yeah. to the actual set where everybody else is normal size, and he's just reacting to pictures that light up so you know who's talking, and he breaks down in tears. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. Um, but this is when we get the f- kind of first little glimpses of 
Bilbo's being a little shady here and not being so forthcoming. And, like, he he feels his age despite, like, he hasn't aged a day, in the words of Gandalf. He's, like, scraping too much, uh, too little butter across bread. Or too much bread across... No, you don't scrape bread across butter. I know this. Oh, I'm trying to remember the <laughs> damn <laughs> quote. Why does this work? You still butter bread that way. Just like, <laughs> you just ruined the entire stick of butter. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to be digging grain out of my <laughs> stick of butter for the next, like, week. Uh, <laughs> too little butter spreads across bread? What is, yeah. the, what is the line? I think you're right. Okay. But yeah, he spread. Just, over, I, I feel like butter spread over too much bread. That Yeah, that sounds better. And he suggests that he's going to go on holiday and have no intention of returning. Um, which apparently in the book, like, he knew he was leaving and Frodo was in on it. Frodo was in on it. Frodo. Kind of. I think he was in on the planning, but not the timing. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think he knew that he was planning on leaving. Mm. He just didn't expect it to be that night. Right. At night. <laughs> Which the movie, I think, does a, a good job of uh, conveying. Like, cause, especially in the extended edition, because they add in that scene um, with Bi- with Bilbo and Frodo at, uh, at the party when they're hiding from the Sackville Bagginses. Right, and Bilbo say, essentially saying goodbye to yeah. Frodo, yeah. Yeah, there's a weird... Subplot of the deed of Bag End and who owns Bag End. Yes, because um, it's supposed to go to the Sackville Bagginses. That is Bilbo's, I guess, natural heir. Yeah. Um, because uh, because Baggins is like the, the bloodline that kind of ends with him, but because of yes. some hokey hokiness, um. Um, Bilbo uh, appointed Frodo as his heir, mm-hmm. and so did Frodo have a different last name until he was adopted by? He him? was um okay no no he was a baggage but he was also but he was a brandy buck yes yes he was closer more closely related to the brandy bucks than to the baggins okay and he's once removed on his mother's side to the Tooks correct <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, everybody, uh, you you design the family tree in your head now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little fucked up. It's a little bit, probably a little bit of incest in there. Yeah. I mean, no, it's medieval times. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so yeah, he just hate, yeah, just Bilbo just hated his cousins, and he's like, "Fuck you." Well, I, I mean, they're to I, be I, fair, in in, <laughs> in the books, they are dicks. They yeah, are, yeah, they are dicks. But still, I mean, he always lost bag end coming back from the because they could, because they just assumed he died, and they're like, okay. I mean, to be fair, like he was gone for a year at that point. True, but then this is like even more. This is even longer. Yeah, this adventure. Mm, Thirteen yeah. months. No, not no. It was about five years. What for the whole Lord of the Rings? Oh, I thought no. so. They leave in uh, September. The ring is destroyed in March. I'm not sure oh. when they get back no. to. The Shire, but it's not. Oh, it might be about the same time, but it's not. See, it's not longer. Okay, right. I thought it was longer. If it is this. longer, it's not by a lot. Okay. Um, Gandalf uh, ups, upstages Bilbo with his uh, pipe weed skills by making the the the, the boat. Um, 
And then we get the actual the party of Bilbo Baggins and everything, which is all shot in the soundstage. Really? Yeah. That's they not, couldn't find an open field? It had more control because they could shoot all day. Fair enough. Um, and apparently the there were actual 111 candles in the polystyrene uh, cake yeah. that did catch fire at one point in the middle of Bilbo doing his speech, but they loved it so much. They like, we got to keep at least some of this footage. And while, as you can look at the background out of focus, you see the, the cake engulfed in flames. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we get the introduction here of Marion Pippin here, the troublemakers of, of Hoppington. Yeah. Which it's funny comparing Marion Pippin from the movie to the books are, com- they're kind of different. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. Because Marion Pippin are not goofballs and, you know, they're kind of, they take, when they go on this adventure, they take it seriously. Yeah. And they, they're, because they're related to Frodo, they take protecting Frodo a lot more seriously as well. Mm-hmm. And in the books, Frodo originally is just gonna go off to, uh, to Brie on his own with Sam. Um, and then when they stumble across Mary and Pippin, like halfway, actually in the book. In the book, in the book, they leave with Pippin. I think in the book, Mary is setting. Uh, so in the book, um, to get. Oh, we're jumping a little bit ahead in the yeah, movie. But in the book, uh, they need he needs to get out of the Shire. Yes. So yes. he was going to go live with the, his relatives with uh with the Brandy Bucks on the opposite side of the river. Yes. And Mary was finding him a hobbit hole for him. Pippin was there to help help make sure that everything, the sale from. Frodo to the Saxo Baggotses goes smoothly enough. Right. Then, then they eventually, Mary and Pippin both realized Frodo's not staying. And then they were like, yes. we're going to go. We're, we're going That's with right. you. Yeah. Huh. Because Frodo sucks up, can't keep it, like, sucks at keeping secrets. Or sucks at lying. Right. I think it's a, a bit of both. Because in the, the books, Mary's like, yeah, we, we've known the whole time, you idiots. <laughs> That's also when he tries to go under an assumed identity when he gets to Bree. What's your... Uh, Mr. Uh, Underhill. Um, Underhill? Fuck, what's my name? <laughs> <laughs> Give me you a second. Well I, say that. Uh, I forgot my name. <laughs> Will you believe that? <laughs> well, I can't give you a room unless you give me a name. <laughs> uh, Underhill... Underhill. Underhill. Like, like, even the bartender was like, you're fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like when Harry, in Harry Potter goes as Neville Longbottom at one point. Neville Longbottom. No one believes you. No. Your name's McLovin? <laughs> Just that. McLovin. You don't even have a first name. Oh, you like Seal? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I, I do like this, this scene in the extended cut. We have a moment between Frodo and Bilbo before he leaves because we don't have a scene between Frodo and Bilbo until he reaches Rivendell otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it's nice to see the relationship as they begin. Um, and I think the making Merry and Pippin the kind of goofballs, I, A, gives their characters an arc over the course of three movies. And it does provide the movie with comedic relief when it's needed because mm-hmm. of how dark the story gets. True, yeah, they essentially act as C-3PO and R2-D2. At the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning. Like, I never thought of it like that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just really identified with Pippin because I have I find myself to be fe- kind of feeling foolish. And uh, for the longest time, I was not taken seriously. So that's why I related to his character so much when I was a kid. Hmm. 
their characterization of the movies does, it's, uh, exaggerated, but it does m- kind of match where their characters are in the books, because Merry and Pippin are two of the younger hobbits, mm-hmm. uh, I think. They're like Frodo's favorite younger cousins. Yeah, I think Pippin just turned like 33, so he's the same age that Frodo is. Frodo was at the beginning of the book. Yeah, right. Frodo's about 50 when he sets yes. out. Oh, right, 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 because of how long Gandalf was gone. Mm-hmm. How long Gandalf was dicking around for. Yeah, I mean, at one point, he and him and Strider meet up and they track down where yep. Spiegel yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Find Gollum, interrogate him, and Gollum gives him... Like, I'm sorry, I gave up your family, your yeah. friends right there. Um, but yeah, it was when we get to see the ring of power wielded by Bilbo as he disappears at the end of his speech mm-hmm. and tries to make his escape, but uh, uh, Gandalf's like Nightcrawler because he bamps to Bag End before Bilbo gets there. Uh, Hello there. <laughs> 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 That's General Gandalf. <laughs> Hello there, General Kenobi. <laughs> Aragorn turns to Gandalf at the Black Gates. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, super cut that anyway. <laughs> that's that's how. That's how the mouth of Sauron greets everybody at the Black Gates. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, Gandalf says, "Hey, you're gonna give up that ring, right?" And Bilbo's like, "Went full heroin addict." Yeah, and that is when, like, you want it for yourself, and don't take me for a conjurer of cheap tricks. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. And it's just a nice little thing to show just the sheer power of Gandalf. Very briefly, anyway. Um, but I remember as a kid, I guess it was a Happy Meal toy. That was like one of the things, I think it was from Burger King, where it was a, uh, it was like a little statue of a lot of the characters that you push a button, they would say a line of dialogue from the movie. And for Bilbo's, it was like the ring must go to Frodo. That was like the only thing it could say. I don't remember any of these toys. What? It was either McDonald's or Burger King. It was like a, it was like these little, voice, not voice activated, but like little push and talk kind of toys that they came out with. I'm googling. Hold on. Okay. Um, Lord of the Rings. And I think it's not an invention of the movie, but but that there was they lean into the addiction side of the ring a little bit more in yes. the movies than the books. I think in. The movies, it behooves them to do that. Well, one, addiction wasn't really something well that known. was a well known back when Tolkien wrote the books, so it's not, uh, it's there, but not really there. Right. I, I mean, even like PTSD diagnosed for soldiers was not like, it was, like, it was, like, it was initially shell shock for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many people came back from the war and the first world war, like damaged because of the psychological terror that, that occurred. Um, and that's why I love the moment when Gandalf first per- persists, pers- like Bilbo, the ring is still in your pocket and Bilbo slowly, but eventually 
gives up the ring, and the ring doesn't want to get leave him at first. Mm-hmm. That's why like it sticks to his hand so much. And we haven't really talked about it so far, but Howard Shore's score for this movie. I mean, we could just have a separate podcast, podcast about it. Uh, just the, the music of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but like, like the light motifs that are throughout the entire trilogy, uh, especially like this. I love this moment here where like the music builds and builds until he finally drops the ring and it sounds like you're dropping a cinder block when it lands on his floor. I think, I mean, obviously good editing, sound editing because it just shows the, the, it's an actual weight that's yeah. being lifted off of Bilbo. I mm-hmm. think they magnetized the floor for that scene. I would believe it. So it would land perfectly and wouldn't bounce? Yeah. I can see that. Um, and that's and I love that moment when, when he, the first step he takes out a bag end and he realizes like he has that one like deep exhale and he finally, the weight, like the monkey's kind of off his, off his back yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when he, he realizes at the end of his book and he takes off to Rivendale. Uh, and then when Gandalf goes to investigate said ring, he goes to touch it. And that's when we get the first glimpse of the eye of Sauron, the eye of Sauron. And like, how long was, Gandalf sitting there until Frodo eventually came back to Bag End. It seems like at least a little while. Well, the part from if you were to go off what the book was like, the party went on. Yeah, they just kind of like, oh, that was cool. Let's continue the party. Yeah, and then Frodo a party had it. Yeah, then P- P- Frodo had to say a goodbye to everyone, and then eventually, like two, three in the morning, he came, went home. Mm-hmm. But it made it seems like he yeah, was searching was, for Bilbo. Yeah, he was like in the movie. He was like came running back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think like after a while, like I mean, I think what at whatever time Frodo got back home, I think his natural reaction would be to just check on Bilbo. But like to run into the door, like Bilbo. Uh, I, I could believe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, like, it's clear, he, at least in the book, he did not Irish goodbye the party, for sure. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to keep uh, partying here. I did want to bring this up when uh, when we were talking about Mary and Pippin's entrance, just to backtrack for a second. Mm-hmm. Did the ADR seem off on Mary's lines in that scene? Why, because it sounds different? Yeah, like, it sounds like he's from, he's really up close, but in the shot, he's quite far away. I guess and he's kind of whispering. I feel like because so much of this movie was ADR'd, yeah. So because like so like because of just the the filming conditions of it, and like I, I know I think one of the documentaries of King Kong when Jackson eventually made it, like eighty percent of that movie's dialogue was replaced in post. So I can imagine it's probably the same thing for this. Hmm. It always stuck out to me like more than <laughs> it's in the other. ground. Like I was like. <laughs> Like, stick it in the ground. Like, it is in the, the ground. ground. That's Outside. Like, yes. he says a lot. You're right. Now, yeah. now you say that I could hear that. Huh. Hmm. Never thought about yeah, it. No, but I'm, I'm probably going to be unable to unhear it now because of you. <laughs> I hope you're happy. Good. Um, <laughs> Frodo picks up the ring with no effect on him and asks uh, Gandalf, like, what's going on? I love, I, I, for whatever reason, uh, like I know Gandalf is deep in thought and he's thinking a lot, like he's mumbling to himself, but like when Frodo comes in and he picks up the ring and he goes, he's gone, isn't he? Gandalf's face is like, oh, fuck, you're here. Uh, mmm. What's <laughs> hanging out at your uncle's house while he's gone? <laughs> Don't mind me. He just closes his robes like, all right. <laughs> I'm not masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And he t- and he's like, well, uh, Bilbo's gone. He's gone to stay with the elves. He's left you back end. And put this ring in his envelope. Do not touch it. Keep, Keep it, it secret. secret. Keep it safe. Keep it safe. Peace. See ya. Yeah, yeah. But you just got here. Yeah. Where are you going? Oh, too bad. I have, I have questions. Questions that must be answered. Um, and it's like, like we said before in the book, it's 17 years until Gandalf returns to Hobbiton. But mm-hmm. I guess in the book, it's like a couple of months. You mean the movie? Oh, yes, in the movie. Excuse me. It's a time. It's long enough. I th- feel like it's long enough to the part where, like, Frodo kind of like out of sight, out of mind, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, because that's when we get a glimpse of the the Tower of Barad-dûr being built by the orcs, and we hear the screams of Gollum being tortured mm-hmm. when he says "Shire" and "Baggins." Yeah. And then we cut to Kirithungal and we see the, not Kirithungal, we cut to Midas Morgul, uh, where the ring race ride off in pursuit of the ring. Right. So, when Gandalf's doing his research, that is in the city of Gondor? Yeah, that's Midas Tirith. Okay, forgive me for not knowing all the... Oh, that's fine. Um, But yeah, no, like, you first get to see Gondor as well in that scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, it's not in focus or anything like that, but right. you know, it does like because you're more focused on the black sky with the fi- with the visible fires of Mount Doom yeah. in it. Like you can even glimpse uh Osgiliath, at the, the city that's in between Minas Tirith and Mordor. Yeah, exactly. And on the commentary they toyed with the idea of putting up subtitles for locations. It wasn't necessary. No, but it was a concern they had. Well, but in that sequence alone, your your jump, how many uh, location subtitles would you have in that little two minute sequence? It would be like it would be like like the opening Rogue One. Yeah, it's a it would be a little bit too much. Um, I mean that there's a reason why in the middle of two towers, like everybody's like we're kind of confused where everybody is right now. That's why we have that scene with Faramir looking at a map. Of what's going on, what's going on at Isengard, what's going on in Mordor, and what's going on in Helm's Deep. You do need stuff like that just to Yeah, you need geography, too. And they actually had to digitally remove, um, or, sorry, in the theatrical cut, they took out, uh, Minas Tirith in the background of some of the shots in Osgiliath because they didn't want people to think that was Helm's Deep. Yeah. And then in the extended edition, they put the shots back in. Right. Um, and like, there's, there's more people going to be digitally removed from scenes when we get to the Battle of Helm's Deep. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's one character that like was on, it should have been on the other side of Middle Earth, but somehow like at one, they had it? the idea they like let's let's have her fighting at Helm's Deep. Um, and if you if you go frame by frame, you can still see her stunt double briefly in the background near the end. And um, and so this is when we Gandalf investigates the One Ring and what happened at the Last Alliance and what happened to Isildur and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's when, while this is going, that's we see the Ring Race enter the Shire. Yeah, and it's actually Andy Serkis doing the voice of the Ring Race there. Oh, and cut to the Green Dragon where everybody's having a yeah. raucous time. It seems like. Friday night there at Hobbiton. Or that could just be any night. We don't know. That's us, we go. It's probably a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> With Mary and Pippin up on the table singing and dancing. Because that's a thing you realize when you read the books. There's a lot of poems and there's a lot of songs. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
Tolkien loved to write songs. That he did. Which I feel like, um, the different movie, the Hobbit, the first Hobbit movie, they tried incorporating that in, but I think the fan reaction was too negative, negative. that they cut it out of the second and third Hobbit movies. But that's why I do like the, the, the dwarf song in Bag End, though. That makes sense. The Goblin one. The Goblin kind of one, and, yeah. It also didn't help that the CGI for that was just really wonky. <sighs> CGI in the three Hobbit movies was really wonky. Yeah. That's what you get when you have a rushed production. Yeah, well. And cram. Th- try and stretch out. One book. One book <laughs> into three films. Like, it, it, it would be perfectly fine as two movies. Yes. Yeah. And if you started off with Peter Jackson to begin with, you yeah. could have had him set up better. Yeah. But no. Back to that's the that, that, that's, a, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> exactly. Back to the fellowship. Yeah. And so Frodo enters and he feels like something's wrong. Somebody's in my yeah, home. Yeah, someone broke into my house. I didn't turn off all the lights and leave all the windows in. in. Where Hold did these leaves come from? I'm hobbits, letting this place go. Do the hobbits have police? Uh, well, no, we see one burgomaster get beheaded by the ring race when they enter Hobbiton oh, yeah. at one point. Yeah. That's <laughs> all the police force. I, I kinda, yeah, that's the entire police force <laughs> in the entire Shire right there. I kind of feel like the Hobbit police are like the UN peacekeepers. I, we could stand here and not do anything, yeah. but we can't. That or it's like that family guy bit of uh, Peter and Brian in like the small Louisiana town of them being the sheriff and deputy. It's like, like, uh, I'm drunk. Oh no! You, 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 give me your keys. Give me your keys. You're stupid. You're drunk. You're drunk, and you just pass out drunk on yourself. <laughs> just that you just sit around drinking the entire time. Um, uh, hobo-looking Gandalf uh, startles Frodo here. <laughs> I've been running, literally running for the last three hundred days. Where's your ring? Yeah. Oh, um, it's in some old file cabinet. Yeah, uh, and. Burn it! <laughs> takes, takes the envelope of the ring, throws it into the fire, and get, Frodo rightfully was like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's the trigger that my uncle left me. He threw in the fire? Burn it! <laughs> Which has led to one of the running jokes between you and I, Dakota. Yes, the supercut, uh, joke. Where, uh, the fire, so the fire consumes the envelope, but the ring is in the fire, and Gandalf picks up with, like, the, with some, uh, pinchers, tongs. tongs, and, Hands it to Frodo. Says, Don't worry, it's quite cool, and drops it into Frodo's palm. It would be hysterical if you supercut that with the SS um, guy from <laughs> Razor the Lost Ark. Ark burning the 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 medallion in his hands. Is <laughs> because that ring would still be hot as hell. Yeah. It was now a running joke between me and my girlfriend and I, because I told him that joke where you watch the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> Don't worry, it's quite cool. <laughs> and like the, the ring with the right, <laughs> half the writing is in Frodo's hand for the remainder of the movie. Oh, jeez. But this is when we get the history of the ring. We get a, we get a kind of like a refresher here. And without the prologue, all the information would have been dumped here. Yeah. Yeah. That, which is basically how it's done in the book. Yeah. And it's, it's, they drag. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same thing with the Council of Elrond. I know the Council of Elrond is very important, but that's an entire chapter that runs so freaking long. Um, and it's literally just, hey, what have you been doing since The Hobbit? Here's what everyone's been doing. And that was the most difficult scene for Jackson to film because it was just like, it's 12 people in a semicircle. We're going to get all the coverage of everybody here over the course of like 10 it's, pages. It's not even dramatic. It's just... Well, 
Here's exposition. Yeah, it's a total exposition dump here. Um, But this is when we get the first glimpse that, no, that Sauron is not dead. He's still, his essence is like in the the ring itself. And we get to hear a little bit of the black speech through the ring. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that like Frodo doesn't hesitate, like, like he doesn't first he doesn't want the responsibility, he wants to give the ring to the Gandalf. He's like, no, but I can't do this, you do this. Right. But then he thought, okay, well, if people are after this and no one knows it's here, the people are after this and no one knows it's here, um, let's just put it away. Hide it. Bury it. Yep. Uh but that's when Gandalf's like about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh that that so Gollum knew was. that Baggins was from the Shire. Mm-hmm. Which makes you question why didn't he go after the ring himself? I think he didn't know where the Shire was. No. That's not exactly he's Even made. Sauron doesn't know where the Shire is. Exactly, yeah. because they had to figure like, okay, hobbits. And that's actually oh, why um Frodo isn't caught in the Shire. Because the ring raids basically spend fuck all amounts of time just bumbling about Middle Earth wondering where the Shire is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- I mean, they mentioned throughout the entire movie that hobbits were not paid attention to at all. Yeah. No. They, like, they kept on themselves and why why bother? They're insignificant. They're yeah. just tiny people. When when they're brought up to uh, Aomir in Two Towers, like, he looks confused. Like, what's a hobbit? Yeah. Like, he doesn't know what that is. They just look like mere child children. <laughs> well, we did. We slaughtered everything in the night. <laughs> well, we killed it, probably. You would have killed children if they were there? Ah, you know, it, it, it was night. The moonlight wasn't too bright. We were a little blood. We had some bloodlust going on. Everything, anything that moved died. You know? <laughs> we left none alive. We, we there, took- just some dead squirrels in there, too. Yeah. We lost two of our own men, okay? Um, Paul, he he got stabbed. <laughs> we had to avenge him. <laughs> and if he wasn't stabbed by a child, we're killing that child. <laughs> um, and so Gandalf is nearly tempted by the ring here, but he doesn't want it because like, he'd, he'd become as powerful as Sauron if he had the ring at that point. Mm-hmm. Just a corrupted uh, figure of Middle-earth again. Um and so Frodo's like, all right, what should I do? All right, you got to make it out of the Shire. Meet me in Bree because I need to consult my 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 council of Saruman the White. Mm-hmm. And another thing that's changed from the books because, like, obviously Frodo took, takes his sweet ass time before he leaves. Well, because uh, in the books, it, they they decided that it was would be too abrupt, be too, too many suspicious, too suspicious, and too many people would talk if he just vanished. So him coming up with the story of him moving back to close to his family, that's why it took time because there was had the legal the legal fees and everything like that, and had to leave a, a essentially a paper trail to like okay this is why where he's exiting to we're never going to see him again. So then does the sackville baggins get bag end back? Yep, they buy it back from um, him. Okay, because- at a reasonable rate too. <laughs> there was there was a Fellowship of the Ring adaptation as a video game. But was not done by EA. Yes. And one of the early missions as Frodo in the Shire, you have to sell, you gotta find your deed, find the deed and sell it, and then you go off on the adventure. Why? Because it was in the book. That sounds horrible. I think that was supposed to be like the tutorial mission. Yeah. Just like, you gotta find tutorial. This is bartering? (laughs) <laughs> just like 
<laughs> oh, here's LA how you, Noir took here's their, how their you graphics. Walk. Like, you know what? Here's tell how they're you lying jump. or not. <laughs> <laughs> Your first mission in this game Should you is, to accept? is you to be a realtor of a very fancy hobbit hole. Do you know the market? Here are the market trends. <laughs> Uh, so for the record, I did not play that video game. I uh, did. This is the I, first I, I, I'm hearing I, of it. I got. I think I got out of the shire and I got like a little bit further. But that's when like the trees have started moving around because like they were also very much like the ants and they were alive. So the, the path came changing. Wasn't it also more reliant on stuff that was in the book? Yeah, it wasn't an adaptation in the movies. Yeah. Like Two Towers, Return of the King were, and those are just combat games. Those are fucking great games. Yes. And there was a Hobbit game as well. Yes, that was very bad. It was, it kind of played like, uh, the Zelda games. Yes, it very was. much like that. And like, I, I got up to, Not my cup of tea. to the trolls and that was like, I got stuck trying to defeat way at the time until Gandalf st- kills the trolls by exposing them to sunlight. Um, and so before Gandalf Frodo- flashes them. <laughs> That's He's why to move. That's why he was so scared when Frodo entered the bag end. He's like, "Oh no!" It's like Medusa. Like he sees my pair of legs, and he'll turn him to stone. This, my skin is so white under these robes, and it blinds people. I have no idea what that feel like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before Frodo can leave, uh, somebody's been hanging out in the garden, and we find Samwise been eavesdropping. I've been dropping no eaves, sir. <laughs> All I. Then what did you hear? Tell me what you hear. Speak! Uh, nothing. Um, something about a ring. Great deal about the end of the world. Don't tell me anything. Unnatural. And I love the close-up, but, like, from Sam's point of view, looking up at Gandalf, like, no. <laughs> his eyes mixed with the hair draped out in front of his face right there. Like, he does look like a crazy tramp right there. I'm not there. going to turn you to anything unnatural. I'm just going to turn you into a skit, like, a, a throw rug. <laughs> It's I'm like picturing Rick and Morty if they tried to do that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, geez, Rick, don't don't turn me into yeah, anything unnatural. Shut up, shut up, Morty. Shut up, Morty. <laughs> I got more important plans for you. Morty, you fucked this up already. <laughs> you already fucked it up. You already <laughs> fucked me on this one. I mean, Morty. like, in the, not the most recent season, but the season before, he does fight a wizard, and his science is useless against him at that point. <laughs> He's a, they have a whole Dungeons and Dragons campaign it's, based in Rick around Rick, Rick and Morty. Yeah, that ends in a. Fucking orgy. It's best if we all just forget about that. Okay? <laughs> uh, that episode's hilarious. I mean, it's not as funny as the the vat of acid that's fake. That's that was a hilarious episode. One of my favorites. Um, but no, like uh, when I think of that, um, oh, shit, I told I told I go like, oh, the joke I was gonna make forgotten. Anyway, sorry, dialects, dialects. <laughs> So Frodo and Sam are off on their uh, mission. They're singing, I would walk 500 miles. 500 miles and I will. The end. The end. My God. Yes. I take one more step. Get the father's away from home. Did you know someone made a super cut of every time yes. Sam made stepped, he would say that yes. for the rest of the movie? Yes. <laughs> People have a lot of time in their hands. Yeah, they do. Uh, and the ring rates are just kind of like, where the fuck are they? Oh, God. As they're just stalking the Shire. And this is when Gandalf, uh, meets up with Saruman the White at, uh, Isengard. At the Tower of Orthanc. There we go. I remember, I was, 
proud of myself. I remember the the name of the tower itself. Tower that looks like a staff. Yes. And it looks like it's made of like volcanic uh glass. Yeah. Or like and not marble, but we have the wonderful Christopher Lee yes. as Saruman, who reportedly read the Lord of the Rings every year since his pub- first publicized. That's dedication. It is. It's, it takes probably about six weeks. Per book? No, just... Oh, it's together? Just like all together, because... Uh, this... Yeah. The last time I did like a deep reread of the trilogy, it took me about six weeks, and that was like a chapter a night. Mm-hmm. Now, part of me wants to believe, like, in the downtime while making The Man with the Golden Gun, he's reading Lord of the Rings. You don't need me today? Fine. I'll be in my... I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> oh, yes, Frodo. And then, and so Saruman is, like, is well-versed of, like, of the ring and everything, but he's... He is shocked as everybody else that it was in the Shire of all places, and wonders why... Why doesn't Gandalf have the ring? Like, why didn't you take in everything? But, uh... <laughs> makes fun of him and says he spoke so much weed. Um, and this is when we get a little bit of inclination that, uh, Saruman's not on the up and up. No, he's, uh... Definitely comes... Like, immediately he comes off a little sketchy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Hey, but, I mean, look at his office. I don't know. What would <laughs> give you the feeling that he's a bad guy? black marble. <laughs> um... Which is funny, like, there's outtakes of, like, that his outfit was so long that when he's going up the stairs to his chair, like, his main chamber, he kept tripping on them. <laughs> and there's an outtake of him going, like, oh, god damn it! He's just swearing at his outfit right there. So that's why we don't see him go up the stairs. We cut to him sitting up there because they, he couldn't do it without they tripping on They couldn't, like, realist, they couldn't just shoot him, like, I don't know. Or him just picking it up a little bit. I think that's socially acceptable. Yes. Um, but this is when we get a full-on wizard fight! They're breakdance fighting. <laughs> I mean, over that floor, you probably could breakdance pretty fucking easily. easily. Yes, but they are, ever since Zoolander, since watching Zoolander and that fight scene, and then watching Lord of the Rings, they are clearly breakdance fighting. I don't know who stole what from who, but... Either Zoolander stole that fight scene, or uh, Lord of the Rings stole the fight scene from Zoolander. I'm gonna have to say it's probably synchronicity. It was parallel thought that was going on right there. <laughs> and what do you guys think of this fight? Like this little quick battle between the two of them. It's different magic than what you would think. Like if, like in Harry Potter, the movies in Harry Potter, when you have like wizard duels, you have the spells being shot out, you have verbal commands, you have light and everything. This is more implied that there's some forces being shot across, but it's very extremely well done. Um, I mean, I know the sequences are cut very quickly together to like cause effect, cause effect, cause effect, but it comes across as these are two very powerful beings going at it, but uh, Saruman is just just better. Yeah. I I think it comes across extremely well. I think it kind of reminds me of the... um... The, the force fight between Yoda and Count Dooku in, uh, Attack the Clones. Right. Funny enough, Chris Lee involved with that too. Yeah, I uh, didn't even mean for that. It's just <laughs> very similar. Especially the way, I guess, their staffs 
quote, work. Right. It feels a lot like, you know, force push or force pull mm. from Star Wars. So maybe that's why I've always, you know, thought of it like that. But it's very Star Warsy. Yeah, because on the commentary track, Jackson says that he doesn't like wizard fights in movies. He doesn't like the look of, like, the spells coming out of wands or a few fingertips yeah. or anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I think it was the, the smart decision, too, on top of that, whether where CGI was. Yeah. Because going back to what Justin just said about the Star Wars Episode Two fight, where Christopher Lee is now shooting lightning out of his fingers, mm-hmm. it doesn't look quite right. Yes. Oh, um, look, that's our our connection with lightning. Lightning's supposed to... Like that, seeing lighting last that long is unnatural to us. Right, but it still looks wrong. You right. know what I say? And that was roughly the same period where CGI was. Yeah, next year. Yeah, so I think it was the smart decision to leave it alone. Just mm-hmm. let it be implied that these are these are like uh, wherever spectrum the spells are being casted from. That it's just something that we can't see. Right, and also you can read too much deeply into like, well, Gandalf's shooting blue magic, well. Saruman shooting red magic. Yeah, it's like you can, um, like like if when I think of that, like wizards deals like prior to this, you think of like Disney's Sword in the Stone. Yeah, yes. Between Merlin and Madame Minch, uh, something you're very close. It's not Minch. No, that was, which was Madame Minch. Minch, but also that was the working name for Yoda Yoda before it became Yoda. Um. But yeah, that's probably why I'm thinking of that. And like when you think of like, I think like my favorite moment, uh, one of my favorite moments of the Harry Potter movies, Mim. Mim. There we go. It's close. Thank you. Uh, my favorite moments in Harry Potter is the duel between Dumbledore and Voldemort at the Ministry of Magic. Right. I think that was the best fight in all the movies. Yes, yeah. because it was evenly. Matched, and it wasn't just one, they were not just using the same spells over and over. Right. And people who have listened to this podcast can go back to our discussion of the Harry Potter movies, and I shat on the entirety of that movie except for that fight scene. Yes. That was a difficult, difficult book, difficult, difficult book to put into a film. The longest one. Fucking ginormous. And the entire budget probably went into that fight scene because everything else kind of looked a little poopy. I mean, the the attack on Mr. Weasley is just like a POV. It's like, look like they're slamming a camera into his face. Yeah. Oh, Um, oh no. Oh, go. We forgot to shoot it. Here, take this iPhone and film it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Where's Nikki Nikki so she can rip me apart for saying this? She she feels a disturbance in the forest. She's probably getting sassed to a customer who doesn't deserve it right now. She sneezed somewhere. (laughs) Um... And so, and Gandalf is captured here, and like, it's one of the few injuries that actually happened on set. It's like the stuntmen doing, bouncing off trampolines. Okay. Like, to do the stunts. Like, misjudged it, and like, he cracked the back of his head on the back, on the metal part of a trampoline. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, one of the stuntmen. And then there was like a, a big injury of broken leg in the two towers with like the dude who takes the, the giant crossbow to his chest and flies backwards with the oh. thing that has the ropes. Like, that dude broke his leg. Well, there's also another injury. Oh, I guess it would be an injury. Um, we're gonna, I think we're going to get to it where they run into Marion Pippin. Yes. I'll li- leave that until we... Mm-hmm. And so Gandalf is captured by Saruman and is banished to the, the top of Orthang. Yep. And we see Frodo and Sam literally get ran into by Marion Pippin in the 
uh, stealing, stealing maggot uh, farmer's uh, crops here. Farmer, who are farmer maggots? Crops again. I, hey. I want justice for farmer maggots. He, he got ticked over. Yeah. Constantly. He's, he's a nice guy in the book. Yeah. Like, they do end up in his fields. They do try to steal stuff, and then they're like, we're sorry. Well, no. They don't even try and steal stuff. They're like, oh, we used to steal stuff from them back when we were really young. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then they have, like, have and then a they rapport have with, them. with yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, but he's coming at them with a scythe, and this is when the four of them go running off to the edge of his property. However, if we does start to do a Three Stooges sketch where they stop to the edge of the property, and like... Silly Sam. Like, one, two, three, and then, whoa, all four of them go as of a tea kettle down the hill. Yeah, and almost landing face first into a pile of horseshit. <laughs> Ooh, that was close. <laughs> I think I've broken something. <laughs> the, the broken carrot that he landed on. Um, huh. this is a uh, shortcut, a detour, a detour to what? Mushrooms. <laughs> and like the three, like Sam, Mary, and Pippin are like really like getting way too interested into the like picking the mushrooms while Frodo is like, "Are we on a road? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, we're on a road." Why are we on a road? Oh my god, I'm tripping balls now. And I'm not the one having the mushrooms right now. <laughs> because the three of them in the background are like, oh, you have to imagine in human history the trial and error of consuming mushrooms. It's like everything else. Like what berries to eat and what berries not to eat. Yeah. Oh, this leaf you can eat. You can eat this leaf and feel fine, but you can eat this leaf if you'll die. Hey, Jim, <laughs> eat this leaf. Oh, there was a great rendition. It was uh, of just that. Like it's a man, it's a caveman in a cave drawing on, like uh, what kind of animals? Like it's a snake, and then then it's like, and it's like, like crosses that out, and then you see in the background, it's like two feet sticking out, like in the entrance of the cave itself. <laughs> Um, but we get a vertigo shot here of the, yeah. the distortion of the road as the ring wraith approaches, which is, which based- is really cool. Yeah. And this is one of the earliest scenes shot for the movie was them underneath the, the roots of this tree as the ring wraith is right there. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was one of the more, f- uh, well circulated shots of the entire movie. Like a lot of promotional stuff, uh, had this scene specifically in it. Yeah. Cause it's ba- like, it's like there was, I think, I think it sets it up so well. There's Alan Lee and John... Uh, John Howe. John Howe, who are the two big um, uh, artists on the movie. And who were like, they had done so much Lord of the Rings art prior to the movie itself. And they were brought in as conceptual artists. And I think they even, they even had cameos in the movie as, as small roles. But um, we get to see the ring race here. And the... the, the the Earth itself is rejecting the ring race because, like, all the insects are trying to get away from them. And I'm just like, oh, that's that's creepy. Like, swarms of bugs freak me out. My, so, yeah, so like, like the ring life is leaning over. It's starting to sniff out the the ring because it knows it's close by. And um, obviously, Frodo is now feeling the temptation of the ring because that's what the ringwraith is doing. Sram stops him, and Mary throws a bag to distract the ringwraith. Yeah, it's probably, I think it's the one with the mushrooms in it. My biggest, ever since I was a kid, so even younger me pointed out, wouldn't the ringwraith see Mary just huck the bag? Because I think, no, I think he was turned. I think he was looking the other direction before. I think they also don't have good sight. 
But he was right there. That, that no, he's, don't have good sights. You no, know, you think of when Frodo goes into the Wraith world. Right, they can see better. That's what they see. That's their vision. But they're able to, but the nine, the what, seven, how many fight on top of the, the, the watchtower? The uh, I think all nine are there. Yeah. No. There was, I don't four think, or five. four or five. Four or five. Yeah. They were able to see for, they were able to circle the hobbits and then also continue to fight Ar- Aragorn, not effectively when he shows up. So I kind of debate whether they really have that bad a vision to the point where they couldn't see Mary out of the peripheral hucka bag of mushrooms. Uh, so uh, I mean, it's they're nearsighted. Maybe it's it's better it's, at it's, nit, it's nitpick, and it's honestly nitpicking. But I've I've always felt it strange. Like how how strong is the ring rates? Ring of magnets. That too. It's literally right on like, top of it. You know, kind of where they are. Like, Can't the you fuck just? Fuck is like, it? I imagine like you trying to find something in the middle of the night. You're yeah, especially around. Gandalf also does explain they are they constantly feel the presence of the ring. So yeah. wouldn't it would be like cold, cold, hot, 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 screaming hot? No, cold, cold. Like, oh, there's a noise over there. Let me go check it out. Dexter point things. Dexter point Dexter is the ring wraith. It's like, hot, hot, hot. <laughs> yeah, but. You know, it, I guess it's just a little bit, it's an amazing scene. It's really yeah. intense and it's beautifully shot. It's just, you can nitpick it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, uh, later on in the evening is when they're questioning like, hey, that black rider is looking for something or someone. Frodo. Frodo, because you and Sam are out here and you look guys look. fucking suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's when they had to get out of there and this is when. They decided to take Buckleberry Ferry. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a little bit of a chase scene here, and resulting in them literally Frodo leaping from the dock onto the in dramatic slow motion. And that's actually Elijah Wood making that jump. Yep. I had to shoot that a couple of times because the first couple of times he shot it, uh, he overshot the raft and ended up in the water. <laughs> he over he overshot the raft. Oh, that's funny. And then the, also the raft kept sinking. Yes. Oh, really? And apparently like, one of the producers is known for the yachting and knew how to, like, what the kind of buoyancy they would need to make that ferry work. Oh, my goodness. But also, at the same time, um, either the actor for Mary or Pippin, when the uh, when Frodo finally lands on them, apparently they didn't sand the, the, the raft yes. uh, enough, and he ended up with a humongous, like, three-foot-long splinter in its leg. Oh. Like, completely pierced the... Uh... The prosthetic, uh, the fake feet foot, that the they fake had feet. to wear. Yeah, it was like a really nasty, like long, absurdly long splinter because of the scene. Between that and what happens at the end with uh, Sean Aston running into the water after Frodo's boat, like which he stepped in glass. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. There's a take where he runs in there. He's like, oh, and he grabs onto Frodo's boat. He's like, oh, I can't let go. I can't let go. And and they like it, there was footage of him like them t- cutting around the prosthetic. He had to be helicopter out of there. Ugh. And then he's like, oh, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be terrible. Don't look at it. It's <laughs> this piece of glass. But still, it's a piece of glass yeah, in your foot. it still hurts. <laughs> um, but that, at that scene with the ferry, that was only three rays, right? At least, yes. yeah, three of them. One was in pursuit. The other two were following. Mm-hmm. So, I know, that obviously, we all know the ring race going... <laughs> Yeah. But there's occasionally the other sound what you hear when they ride off the ooh. Yeah. So when they were mixing the sounds for this, they actually using elk bugles, uh, um, which you can find out out west, specifically huh. Wyoming. Hmm. And I've when I went camping out there in the Grand Tetons, 
it was during elk making make, uh, elk mating season. Oh lord! And so three in the morning, you're hearing the elk bugles, and it's fucking creepy. Oh my lord! It, it sounds like ring rinks are coming for you. <laughs> and, and the scream, I think it's it was Fran Walsh who had like a. I don't know, laryngitis or something like that, like a throat infection. They recorded her screaming, and they did, they manipulated, and that's the sound of the ring race. That makes sense. Um, and so they make it to Bree, and which is still like it's like two hundred plus miles away from the Shire, uh, judging by my Middle Earth uh, step counter right here. <laughs> um, and we get we get the cameo from Peter Jackson as the man eating carrots. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which he reprised in uh, the second Hobbit. Yes, when he shows up there, um, and this is when Frodo pretends to be Underhill. My name's Underhill. Underhill. Bond. James Bond. Uh, I always feel bad for the gatekeeper. Oh, he gets so fucked up for no reason, other than doing his job. No, he gets smushed. The hell goes now. Hobbit. For Hobbit. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> um, and so they're waiting for Gandalf, but like he hasn't been seen for six months, and they're wondering like, oh shit, what the hell are we gonna do? And that's when Frodo's like, well, let's just have a drink and we'll ponder what we're gonna do. Um, but this is when they're being spied upon by a gentleman in the corner. He's one of those ranger types from the north, and he's just wearing a ranger's blue sweater. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's Henrik. It's Henrik. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the return of the king. It's too easy of a joke right there. You, you, you had to play it where it laid right there. Um, and that's but um, Frodo is playing with the ring right there, and Pippin blows their cover, saying, "Oh yeah, I know a Baggins, Frodo Baggins." Yeah, I it, Pippin. I mean, it's better than in the book where Frodo's up on a table dancing and he ends up putting on the ring accidentally. Yeah. Frodo was in the book was doing that, so he, so, but Pippin, someone in the book was going to blow his cover too, so that's yes. why Frodo right. was like, okay, let me distract him from yeah. saying anymore. Uh, yeah, but then ends up accidentally putting the ring on. And this is when we get the first, like, glimpse, and like, that's why one of those indelible images from the movie is the, Ring going flying in the air and then falling on his finger. Was that CGI too? I think the ring is real. I think there's people in green socks, like flipping the ring and then putting on to uh, Elijah ring. Wood's finger. Okay. Because I, I, I think it explains why it looks unnatural because it doesn't. It wants to go on his finger. That's why it manipulates its physics to do so. Right. Uh, and we get a first glimpse of Baradul and then. And the ring, it's in the eye of Sauron, but that's when Frodo removes the ring and Strider makes his presence known. Right. And, and we're going to introduce obviously Viggo Morrison as Aragorn here, or Strider, I should say. And another difference from the book is that in the book, he's carrying Narsil. He's carrying the, yes. the shards of his forefather's sword with him. Right. And that's what he pulls on Sam when he enters the room. And I'm mm-hmm. like, and in the, in the commentary, they're like, we couldn't square that without making it look silly. That's which is fair. Like oh, let me pull a broken sword. Yeah, let me pull a bro- broken sword at you. Yeah. Like you see Leslie Nielsen like naked gun doing that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like ah oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is when the the race enter Bree, 
in the most subtle of all fashions. <laughs> Busting down the door. And then just like, okay, let's go. We're literally like, what are you here for, Nazgul? Murder. Yeah, like there's, it is literally a murder party yeah. as they enter the, the inn. So I understand why the first Nazgul is like pointing with his sword, but why are all of them like, like, like disco fevering behind him, like, yeah! <laughs> they got spirit fingers. Those are spirit fingers. These are spirit this fingers. This is our assassination pose. Don't fuck with me! Because <laughs> the ring is hydromatic. It's, it's grease lightning! And they're just like... Go, 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 go grease lightning! <laughs> grease lighting, Go, grease lighting. <laughs> but, like, like, so... Work with me on this one. Okay. Because now the next scene is them, like, creepily getting into the room of the hobbits and yes. just stabbing the shit out of them. Yes. Yep. Wouldn't you think the com- there would have been a- more of a commotion of, hey, five riders just broke down the gate, and now they're in my tavern, which is still filled with a good chunk of people, swords drawn, disco finger, creeping around. You think there would be a little bit more of a commotion other than people just staying quiet and hiding? I think it's because of their negative presence. That's why the that's why the barkeep is like terrified behind the bar as they enter. I know, but you would think there would still be people screaming. Oh, I'm sure they probably um, but when it they probably can't be heard over the ring race, pissed off when they probably <laughs> like they've been duped, they've been hoodwinked, they've been speckledorfed. <laughs> uh, but that that's another question. Why did they know that room? What led them to that room? It is a dramatic. Uh, license right there yeah. to make but the, it, the, but I mean, it, which but, also came from the animated film. Exactly. Right. Like, but why, why did like, did the, like, like, hey, what about that over there? That building? Because the script says so. Yeah. There, wolf. There, castle. Why are you talking like that? <laughs> They're like, oh, it's been about 3,000 years since we last saw the ring, so our picker is completely off. <laughs> So this is why they need they need a ring wraith bloodhound. <laughs> maybe maybe they run up there. Maybe it runs on Vista. <laughs> They're going to die, or Frodo rubbed the ring all over the shit in that room. That's why they felt the presence. <laughs> They're <laughs> scraping that in there. It's rubbing off the paint off the ring. Shit! <laughs> this is painted. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap bastard. Uh, yeah, so the race uh, assassinate a bunch of pillows, much to their chagrin, and they freak out, and then. Just without trying to fix their mistake, they just leave. Fuck this! They, they, it's it's once again nitpicking because the whole sequence is really awesome looking and it's really well done. But it's just like how that room and why the reaction. Like I understand the reaction of oh shit, we got duped, but it's not like <laughs> let's set the whole place on fire and then find the ring in the rubble. <laughs> I feel like they, they 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 have they're really insecure. That's why they gotta have dodge so quick before anybody could question their shit. We're gonna look like idiots. Well, so hopefully, Sarah can't is not looking at us right now. We're gonna play this off like we did our jobs, and if anyone questions, we just ha- we just hate down like goose down. Yes, we hate goose down. I like yeah. the the line that Dominic Monaghan I think in the uh, the commentary for it. He's like. See what it did? Turn the hobbits into feathers. <laughs> hobbits equal goose. Goose must die. Actually, uh, <laughs> almost almost had to uh, fight off a pack of geese earlier this week. Gaggle That's of a, geese. A gaggle of geese. There we go. Um, I'll tell that story off, Mike. But um, 
so Aragorn is leading them into the wild. Um, After pretty much saying who they were. Yeah, oh, what the Nara school were, that they were the, the nine uh, kings of men have been turned into. They've been enslaved by the power of the rings that they have, and now are, they are he, they are puppets to Sauron. Yep. Um, neither living nor dead. They're there. Yes. They exist. They're zombies. More or less. Yes. Um, and so, as they go further and further into the Middle Earth, um, Pippin's asking, um, why are they stopping for food? But they already had breakfast. Had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Tea. Dinner. Supper! Does he know about those? Live and see. Uh, we don't think so. <laughs> and then he gets pegged in the head with an apple. <laughs> Two apples. <laughs> um, but while that's going on, while Aragorn's leading further and further into Middle Earth, trying to lead into Rivendell, there's where we get to see what Saruman's been up to. He's been in communication with the Eye of Sauron and who's requested to have an army built for him. Right. Yeah, because he's communicating through one of the seeing stones, which was introduced. Yeah, when we, what led off, what tipped off Gandalf that Saruman's up to no good because the plant here mm-hmm. has been, he looked at the recent calls and it was Sauron on there. That's why he's like, all right. You should delete your search history. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, What's browser history? <laughs> and uh, this is the one thing I, like, I never understood that the magic of turning trees into fuel that make Urukai. Oh, I always just kind of assume they're just digging them up. Like they were just sitting on top of like a mine of Urukai. No, I think it's a. It's like some way to just grow them out of the ground? It's never specified. It's like crossbreeding. This is orcs and 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 orcs. This is my spell to create buff. Buff naked men from the ground. It's very lurch very strange. C- cuts a quite an impressive jib. That's what I was gonna say there. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that there. <laughs> I know Orkai women that we know of. Mm. It's the beards, <laughs> not just the men, but the women and the children too. <laughs> the children too. <laughs> I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. <laughs> Annie, this turns me on so fucking much. Oh, yeah. I, I, I murdered an entire village. Let's you, fuck. who stands for peace and justice throughout all the galaxy, I literally committed genocide and you are just dropping your panties in front of me. What can I say? I'm a bad girl on the inside, Annie. <laughs> Confuse Anakin. Literally, at, at somewhere men. on the internet, that was exactly written. As yeah, it is. it's probably in the deep You're bowels welcome. of 4chan and Reddit. You're welcome, 4chan. Uh, uh, but this is when we see Gandalf on top of Orthanc, uh, exposed to the elements. <laughs> this sucks. God, look, it's got to be so cold and windy up there. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but probably falls asleep too after sitting on such a hard surface. I, I, you'd have to get up and walk around. You'd just stretch a little bit. You'd have to. I hope he's not afraid of heights. Oh, God, that makes me terrifying. Hey, at least it's fun to pee. Just <laughs> <laughs> pee off the side. <laughs> it's going to make it rain on that dude. <laughs> I hope the guy's not an updraft there whatsoever. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn it! I have a penny. Let's see if this, th- this kills someone. Woo! <laughs> 
Yes! Yes! High, self high five. Uh, <laughs> that's how he keeps himself entertained while he's up there. Um, my why is he up there for so long though? I feel like Saruman wants to torture him. Not really torturing someone, just kind of keeping him in an uncomfortable spot. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. But then he he wants to see what the world's going to turn into. I guess. But then like he, but then it's like. He, he's another wizard who has powers. You, you're, you're just letting him... Uh, unless he wants him on his side. I think so. Because like, I feel like... Hey, I, I just beat the shit out of you. Now here's an uncomfortable spot to watch me literally destroy the planet around you to make it hell on Earth. You want to come over really, Friday for nachos? Never really quite explained in the book, though, too. It's yeah. just like... If I he's guess. in prison. But these sequences weren't in the book. They just kind of like jump... But he's in the book. He's still in prison in Northank. Yeah. Yeah, but he just kind of glazes over like, yeah, I was there. I, I, if I'm going to speculate, if Sauron was successful, I feel like Sauron would try and take him out eventually. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the book, uh, Sauron doesn't want the doesn't raise an army to help Sauron. He does it because he wants to ring for himself. Yeah. Okay. Well, because he... Uh, also in the book, they never touch it on in the movies that he's now Sauron the rain... The, the many-colored. The many-colored. Right. Um, and so... This is when the, the Strider and the Hobbits reach to Weathertop for a night. And... It... Yeah, the Hobbits are not taking this situation too seriously. Yeah, Frodo wakes up to them cooking tomato, to, to nice tomatoes. And some and, bacon. And some sausages, nice crispy bacon. Who saved you a plate, Mr. Frodo? Fucking numbskulls. Where did they get all the supplies? They probably killed a pig along the way. Is this a wandering pig that they can make sausage they probably, They've been raiding farms along the way. Uh. But I mean, to be fair, it's not the fire that attracts the wing raids. It's them it's Frodo sc- freaking out about it. Yeah, I mean, put <laughs> 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 it out. out to your phone. Oh, that's and nice. And screaming as it They're echoes in the valley. Yeah. Was, I guess it was just. I don't quite remember the sequence in the books, but so I don't remember when where's uh, Aragorn actually goes off to. But it kind of just seems like really like just like it just. It just serves the plot that he's not immediately there, you yeah. know? Yeah, and he I, does the same thing in the books. Like, he goes out to scout ahead. Yeah, but does, doesn't does he run into his girl... Ugh, I forgot her name, so forgive me. But doesn't he run Arwen? into his Arwen, yeah. like, in the books and then comes back with her? No. no Arwen's okay. not in the the book at all. Well, she is, but only right, when they does, get to... Uh, right, because Riverdale, Frodo gets to, to River Rides ahead by himself. With... Glorfindel. Which is which El- Elrond's son. Oh, oh Glorfindel. Forgot no, about not Glor- even the son. No. Just like some random elf. Yeah, I forgot. You're right. You're, you are totally right. I forgot about that. Um, and so the hobbits retreat to the top of Weathertop with the four swords that, that Aragorn had given them, pretty much like rusty daggers at that point. And that's when... Another one of my favorite shots of the movie is like the overhead shot when the ring, the rays have surrounded them, they both, they all synchronize, lift their shards, like, in dramatic pose. <laughs> this is what we were playing for it back in the hotel! <laughs> <laughs> nothing can go wrong! Absolutely nothing! Um, but they have no concern for the other three hobbits, so they're like, out of the way, we don't care, we're not gonna kill you. Only because they know they can't, they're not a threat. Yeah, and there's like, clank, clank, out of the way. They, they literally chucked them out of their way. <laughs> Um, Frodo doesn't do it. He just drops his sword and just. Because try- he's probably scared shitless. I don't blame him. I, 
And the bookie's more... The, the bookie... He tries to fight back. He, he has a little bit more balls in the book. Um, and that's gonna be a running thing. I guess my little bit of yes. running issue with Frodo in the movies versus the book. Frodo in the movies is a little bit more spineless than what he is in the book. Mm-hmm. Spineless just, in, in terms of like uh, fighting. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's not like he's like overly brave in the books or anything like that, but he does tend to take care of himself a little I, bit I mean, more. He's able to he's defend a, himself at least a little bit against Shelob. Yeah, yeah, he does a better job with that. He set he he's more brazen a little bit more in the books than he is in the movies. Well, I think that's that's the reason why Sam the Stoutheart in the book. I think that's I think that's the name. That's Samwise the Brave. Samwise the Stoutheart. I think that if I remember correctly, I remember reading a little bit of that. Um, that's, that makes him such a more important character because he's braver than Frodo. Y- yeah. Yes. And yes. And- no. It's complicated. I, it's 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 complicated. I, if if I would to go back in time, and t- like I would probably ask Peter Jackson, maybe make Frodo a little bit, a yeah. little bit more. Have him like you know at least fight. Yeah, like make him like try to like defend himself with a sword a little bit instead of backing off and like let me go invisible. Thinking that would work, but, but unfortunately, it just makes you even more visible. To like, the it's like how? Why not in this scene, like make it like one, two, three with the sword, and then he gets backhanded by a wraith, flying yeah. him, and then he hits the ground. It's like I'm screwed. Yeah. And then put the ring on. Yeah, I can see that because like just him just dropping and then like crawling away it does make him look weak. Yeah, it doesn't look like a character that can really convince me that he can handle this humongous burden from. Uh, Rivendell to Mordor. Right, like you think about even Luke Skywalker, who's not like a trained soldier in the first Star Wars movie, but he'll still defend himself. Yeah. yeah. And he does get a couple lucky shots on some stormtroopers and then eventually in the Falcon and... Yeah, well, you have the force to guide him too, which is true. different. But but still, like, kind of make Frodo not so much... Give him a little bit more spunk. That's yeah. all I'm asking. And, and again, at the... Uh, at the... The Fords of the Burinan, um, at the river. In the book, he like gives this really cool speech about how the ring raves, all nine of them, are, will not, uh, take him without a fight, even though he's oh, richly dying. Yeah. Yeah. And he also does that in the animated movie as yeah. well. And it's a really cool scene. And that's something I really wish would have been in the movie, especially for someone like Elijah Wood to give that, that speech. That right. speech. We'll get we'll get to that scene though because I actually don't mind it. Um, so that's when a pistol. Th- th- <laughs> even before that, that's when the Witch King himself stabs Frodo with the Morgul blade. Um, that's when Aragorn shows up and rules Roost. And uh, and again, being the fact that this is the first scene that Viggo Mortensen shot and with barely any sword training. Like he had like a crash course, like with like up like two days before this. It's really impressive that a nobody got hurt and it looks as cool. And the moment that always sticks with me is that one wraith who tries to sneak behind him to go get Frodo, and he gets this like literally like the don't be suspicious. Oh, he was don't. going after Frodo still. I thought he was he was running. I thought he was going after Frodo. Mm, I don't know. But either way, like him trying <laughs> they, like, to sneak away in general. general. Like, oh shit! He literally does it. Oh shit! Look. <laughs> Like you're, you caught your kids stealing. Uh, or you ask your dog, like, "What's in your mouth?" <laughs> yeah, they. <laughs> and just throws the torch 
into his face. <laughs> punctures his face hole. And he's like, oh, fuck. I'm just going to jump off the side of this cliff here. He finds a small me. puddle to, like, stop you up and roll in to put himself out. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I'm going to have to ask ask uh, HR for a new pair of robes. And it's not going to end well. <sighs> um, And so this is when Aragorn is racing. Frodo to Rivendell as he's dying uh, slowly. Uh, the Urukai army is being built. Um, Gandalf uh, makes a pact with a small moth. Um, and he catches him. I always admire like him just catching him like and gingerly too. He doesn't yeah, crush like, it like no, in his no. Hand. He's just like, hey, hey, come here. Uh, and it's one of the most impressive shots in the movie. It's when we go from the moth and then we uh, travel down the oh, yeah. the tower into right into the the bowels of Orthanc as mm. the army's being built. Yeah, that was a cool shot. And apparently, uh, they had a hard time like building convincing like molten like material. So they literally just went to a facility that did that, and they the people who actually do that, they dress them up as orcs and they're the ones in full orc makeup making the swords themselves. Oh, so that was a legitimate foundry? Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> but also, you have to imagine, you're foundry work and now wearing all this prosthetic and with, with context and you still have to do your job and not burn yourself or others. I'm pretty sure whatever batches they were using were just thrown out. Yes. But like, it, I, I love how the rhythm of the building of the swords are, is incorporating the score here yeah. too. Like the katunk, 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 katunk. And it's just mass-producing cheap swords that look like just, like, really dull knives with mm-hmm. this, an edge on it. Um, and as Frodo is becoming a wraith due to his injuries, this is when an angel pretty much walks into the... rides, literally rides into the movie. Are you an angel? I have no response. No. I, My insights just quiver. I, I, all I feel is pain and suffering. I think it's, that might be the weakest line in the entire prequel trilogy right there. <laughs> that exchange. Anyway. <sighs> this is when we have Liv Tyler as Arwen. Uh, Liv who, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And says, like, no, I'm going to take Frodo. I'll bring him to my father because he needs Elvis medicine and my father's the only one who's able to do this. And we get a badass chasing with her. Yeah. R- really cool chasing with the nine race after her. And mm-hmm. it's just, oh, like, I love that, that helicopter shot where it's like her and lead and like the four mm-hmm. of them are in the like, reverse V following her. Mm-hmm. And I remember there is a the flying V. <laughs> it was impractical, v. impractical hockey maneuver. Ho- it makes no sense because I have gone over this several times. Like people, people are like, "Oh, they should just do the flying V." No, I wonder it's how a horrible way to go. Like five on no one, and your goalie is like, "What are you thinking?" I, I, I no, like, I, I wonder how many bars you've had that that reaction to when people have said, "Like, do the flying V," and you freaked out. I didn't freak out. I just it's impractical. Yeah. And then you have to explain. Like, what do you mean it's impractical? It's like clearly you don't want, you don't know hockey. We'll talk about this whenever we do it. Mighty Ducks podcast. Yes. Um, and so, uh, the chase continues and everything, and it's so much great stonework and so much great horse work that's being done here. And I always remember there was a tie-in commercial, I think, with like Hyundai or Toyota, where it's a person driving a new SUV, and a, the wraiths surround the car and like, like knocks on the window, and it's the dealer. 
He's like, oh, like, oh, we have an upgraded deal for you and everything like that. And he gets, oh, I need to do a sign here. Oh, thank you. And he signs it and then pulls the hood back up and screeches as he, as he rides away from the SUV. I don't remember that either. I, it is so strange. I'm like, it's just so weird seeing like a Wraith ride up to a 2001 SUV and knock on the glass. And it's like, hey, are you enjoying your car? Um, oh my god. Okay. But we get to arguably, like, maybe like the second most badass moment in the entire, well, it's tough now, but like, when Arwen makes her fight, her stand against the race oh, like, uh, yes. on the river. Slay Queen. Ah. Oh. And just like, like when, like, they race are afraid of water. They don't want to go in it. Well, I think the, that river is a magical river in general. Yes. And it was believed that they can't cross it at all. That's why they can't invade Rivendell. That is, that's the border of Rivendell. Okay. Yeah. But obviously they were brazen enough to cross it to accomplish their mission, which was discern, was, which is, uh, which is concerning. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's the reason why Elrond pushes for the evacuation of Rivendell more. Because we, we, we didn't mention before, but we, Frodo and Sam at one point do see the elves leaving Middle-earth at one point. Right. But in, And that whole interaction in the books is a little bit more in-depth. In mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the elves know what Frodo's carrying, and they're like, you can come with us to a certain point that will help protect you from whoever's after you. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you would have to be on your own. Right. And at that point, it was just uh, Frodo and Sam. Mm-hmm. But they still had their mission to go to Bree, and that's why they didn't go with them. Sega? Is that, and did they go with them in the books, or? No, they, like, spend the night. With them? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, But, like I say, like, how, like Justin, your feelings on, like, Arwen making her stand against the Wraiths? I think it's good. I think it's a really good scene that Tyler does an excellent job. With, I just wish they had also found a way to incorporate Frodo as more of a active player in it. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no problem with Arwen um, being the one that pretty much like casts the spell and uh, to make the river magical. I have no problem with her speech against the ring rates. I don't know. I, I just think in the book it was just such a pivotal character moment for Frodo that even though he's injured and he's wounded and it would be really easy for him to just give up, he still has that, that will to fight mm-hmm. that it would have been Really cool if he had that moment. Yeah. Right. I agree, but without that moment, it was still a really yes. awesome scene. Yeah. I, and, I mean, like, I, like, I'll never forget the line, like, when the Wraiths say, like, give us the half, halfling she-elf. Right. And she takes out a sword, like, if you want him, come and claim him. And, like, cut to the close-up for that uh, line. Yeah. Like, oh. like I don't want to fuck with this woman. No, and... <laughs> And the race are brave enough, like you said, like, all right, fine, fuck it, we're taking our swords, we're going to cross this river. However, due to the fact that it is a magical river that, I guess she bewitches it, or... I think she summons the guardians of the... I think that what is this, uh, what she starts chanting is the call for whatever the guardians of the river are, mm-hmm. because the river itself is magical. Yeah. So she's just summoning whatever magical entity belongs that river to expel the evil that has crossed it. Mm-hmm. 
killing the horses, but the wraiths they're they're wraith horses. Yeah, they're evil. <laughs> um and so and the wraiths get washed down the river. Bye. <laughs> see ya. We're gonna upgrade to vehicles next movie. This is the last you'll see of us in three hours. <laughs> and then it looks like presumably Frodo dies. Quote unquote here. Yeah. The first of many. Yeah, it, it is like a running thing of like him. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna say that. a lot of fake out deaths. Yeah. Disney fake deaths. Disney fake deaths hit a little bit. CW better. fake deaths. CW fake deaths. There we go. Even more so. Um, but yeah, and, and this is when like we have the. Spell, we're introduced to Elrond, like, as if this is an FMV video from Mist, as, like, the transition into Rivendell, where everybody's floating, and it's just floating heads. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> Surprise. Come back to the light. Surprise to see. <laughs> um, and this is when we get to see Gandalf, um, in Rivendell, unexpectedly. And Frodo's like, what the hell? I'd be a little angry. Hey, like, like, where have you been? I was delayed. delayed. <laughs> and we see what happened where Saruman is trying to convince... Continuing to beat the shit out of him on top of his castle. Yeah, literally hanging him over the edge. Yeah. But in this, when he says, there's only one Lord of the Ring, and he does not share power. And for the years, I didn't realize who he really meant. And he's obviously just talking about Sauron. Um... But for a long time, I thought he was talking about Frodo because he's like, because he had control, like he's because he was not infected to it. But I'm like, no, he is affected to it. He doesn't have control over it. That was a dumb assumption. Eh. But that's when the eagles show up. Yep. The fucking eagles. The yeah. Philadelphia eagles. Yep. I mean, they do a lot of damage with the members. Might as well be eagles in the eagles fan base. Fucking up everybody at the Black I'm pretty gate. sure there's some orking horse crap down there. <laughs> oh my god. Saruman is in Philadelphia. <laughs> yes. I believe it. Philadelphia is just Mordor. <laughs> and further, where the blue elves are, that, uh, the blue wizards, that's Pittsburgh. That's where the, that's where the hell they're hanging out with right now. Um, but yeah, and so I get yeah it, the Eagles. I, I, yeah, they, it's the biggest plot hole of the entire. Even in even in the books, it's the biggest plot hole. It's like, but why can't the Eagles just help them? You do this one thing, we're never going to bother you ever again. Justin, would you like to chime in on this one? Okay, so first of all. Even for the eagles, bearing people on their back does, you know, burden them. Okay. Like, he tells Gandalf, I can carry you, but only for a certain distance. Okay, fair. What's, but the eagles are, so, outside- They're a proud race. They're a proud race, yes, yes. but they're, but they're, are they, like, a magical, are they kind of magical creatures? Or are they kind of like kind of? It's kind of like what's the the shapeshifter in the Hobbit? Um, yeah, it's kind of like Bjorn. Bjorn, Baron, thank you. Um, but there, there's mystical abilities about them, and even if they try to fly into Mordor and have Frodo just drop the ring into Mount Doom, or like they just take the ring and drop it into the yes. fires of Mount Doom. Whatever the bat creatures, whatever the winged beast, 
the, the race end up riding yeah. defend Mordor. Uh, and th- those beasts are taken out by the destruction of Mount Doom in the end. Okay, fine, but... There- it's thin. I'm not saying it's not. There's there's ways to... Inc- because there's just ways you can incorporate the eagles into the final battle other than some rest, some rest machina. Yeah. I, I I mean it's it is a plot hole. It is It is a plot hole. But one of the things about Tolkien's world is that everyone has defined roles. Right. Gandalf, if you notice when he's Gandalf the Grey, he He's more encouraging people to fight rather than being the one to instigate the fight. Like, he's the one who says, who tells Frodo what to do. He's the one who, you know, tries to get the fellowship together. But he's not... He's not the one actually in control. He tells Frodo... This has to be your decision. I can help you. I can advise you. This is on you. Mm -hmm. You look at Saruman. He's the wizard that's supposed to be the one that's the most powerful in control. He's His role is he's supposed to be the leader. Right. Everything in Middle-earth has its purpose. The purpose of the eagles isn't to ferry people from here to there. They're not... They're not the Middle Earth taxis, as the commentary no, said. No, I totally understand that, but it, but by your definition, what is their role then, other than save you last minute? Because all they ever whatever do, eagle, what do eagles do in real life? No, but like going off the theory that everything has their purpose in this world is never the eagles like, are there to save Gandalf from plummeting to his death. Then the eagles are just there to rescue Sam and Frodo from the from the. They can help, but it, it's not like. Right, but there is a way to like so, by the destruction of by Mordor, and Sar- uh, Sauron's power to come up and destroying the landscape, turning it to black like Mordor is, it's not going to benefit the eagles at all. So it helps. It pays for the eagles to participate in some way. Yeah, but also but it, like I mean, I'm not saying ferry. I mean, I know a lot of people are like, well, just ferry them across. It. Like it's like an airplane. I'm not saying that. How about like part of the plan of like this is the Battle of Gondor? Like here, like this is the strategy. Like there's a way to do this, right? But you know, think of certain nations that there's a conflict going on around them, but they don't lift a finger to. Yeah, you know. I know, like Switzerland and Spain. Right. Yeah, I get. I. I get that. It's it, just, it is frustrating. Y- yeah, it's it just it's just like does the it, eagles could come in handy. Okay, here's a question: When you're watching the movie, yes. and the eagles show up, does that pull you out of the movie, or no, is it just it, upon the conversations when you're having afterwards? It's just it's just nerd conversation. Okay, it, because I know I'm not the only person with this opinion. No, not at and all. And there's people that feel way stronger than me about the eagles in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so I'm just. A little bit playing devil's advocate, but yes. also at the same time being a little bit serious of mm-hmm. they could have had a bigger part. Right. But in the meantime, they save Gandalf. Yes. And they fly him to Rivendell. And this is when the hobbits are also there. They have made it there eventually with Aragorn. Did Gandalf take a bath in the same pool that the dwarves took a bath in? No, because that was not supposed to be a bathing area. 
Let's not think about that scene too much. <laughs> destroy the, pu- like the destroy the fountain. <laughs> like the eagles. <laughs> those CGI- the less you think about it, the better. The C- those CGI naked dwarves. <laughs> but now that everybody's at Rivendell, I think this is the right place to put a pause in this conversation because we're nearly three hours in and we've just gotten to Rivendell. Oh, boy. And I feel like we should do... We will cut this episode in two. We will come back and we'll finish the second half of Fellowship of the Ring in another episode. Uh, because it is going long and we the, a few people have some stuff to do uh, uh, for the rest of the day. Yes. Now, Dakota, if people want to follow you on social media and your artwork that you create on a regular basis, where can people find you? Okay, so uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, dwpepe underscore art. And I also recently made a Twitter for my art page as well, which is DWPepeArt. Um, see a bunch of drawings of pretty girls, fantasy, sci-fi, that sort of genre stuff. So, any followers help? <laughs> uh, and Justin, if you want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Cirillo. That's Cirillo with a C. And, uh, yeah. Pretty much just uh, tweet about sports. Uh, yeah, your Premier of, League commentary and yep. Yankee commentary as of late. A lot of Doctor Who stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, some more Ring stuff every now and then whenever I decide to uh, dip my toes back into the water. Yes. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at this is Tim Rooney. Rooney spelled R-O-O-N-E-Y. My other podcast, please rewind the RF for a retro show. We talk about movies very much like this when it comes to anniversaries. And my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash through the lens productions through as if you're going through a door or a window. All my short films and videos are up there. I want to say, Dakota, Justin, thank you for taking time and your afternoon to talk Lord of the Rings with me. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Of course. Uh, Come back next time to talk about geek and pop culture. We'll be back with the. Fellowship of the Ring Part 2 very soon, and we'll be speaking to you soon.